Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With J.P. McNamara on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And good morning to you. It's John Paul McNamara in for Patricia right through until one with Cork Today and Bernie taking your comments this morning 1850-333-103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 You can email across the morning jp at c103.ie And ahead on the show we are going to be discussing the easing of level 5 restrictions which are going to be eased across April. The biggest one that everybody was contacting us about and that I think everybody was talking amongst themselves was the travel, the 5k and how that will ease and from the 12th of April uh, we'll all be allowed to travel anywhere within our own county so for us here in Cork being the largest county in Ireland it's good uh, for us because people can travel now and I think that's good for people's mental health as well knowing that they can go now beyond their 5k and if you're living in the border areas then and the county borders uh, near Kerry or Tipperary, Limerick or Waterford there's 20k flexibility uh, for those living near a county border so I think that's one thing people will be relieved to hear that they can now travel along and around their own county. So discussing that and other announcements that were made yesterday and looking at the overall roadmap now for the easing of those restrictions, our political correspondent Sean Defoe will join us on the programme shortly. But while they were announcing that yesterday something that they also announced was the changes to the vaccination rollout and it will mean that those most high risk, they will still receive their injections first, but the appointments after this will be made on a basis of age only. A lot of groups not happy with that this morning and teachers and Gardaí are very angry. Teachers feel that the new vaccine rollout will go against them and what they do as our Gardaí who are dealing and enforcing the public regulations will be speaking with the ASTI later in the show and why teachers are upset. I mean, already on the WhatsApp a lot of teachers have contacted us to say it's unfair that they're going into a secondary school situation or a primary school situation teaching in a class a child may or may not have COVID but it can be passed even though schools that the government would say are very very safe some teachers are saying yes everything has been done in the schools to make it safe but it doesn't rule out that they, we are as teachers are saying frontline workers and we should be included in the first vaccinations that have been offered in this country your views are welcome on that uh, what do you make of this regarding 
teachers who were angry over the vaccination rollout along with the Gardaí and others 1850-333-103 or text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 and following on from the cargo ship which blocked the Suez Canal uh, many marine experts are saying all along that this was foreseen this could happen but what are the impacts now here on deliveries to Ireland what is the knock-on effect what are we likely to see uh, there's mentions already of price rises but will there be deliveries of everyday goods we take for granted what is the knock-on effect and how can they prevent this from happening again and could something like this happen elsewhere in the world we'll be discussing that this morning on the show with a marine expert and also we'll be hearing how the government departments have shot down canopies from being erected outside businesses in North Cork a lot of businesses which are looking at reopening for the summer months looked at this idea and it went to a proposal but it was shot down by government departments we'll hear why later on the programme and also it is a nice day today out there and if you're an ideal day for gardening some would say if you are going gardening later and you have a question for Peter get those into us now and get them in early because it gets so busy with questions we don't usually get around to getting all of those answered so get them in nice and early for Peter Dodd the Irish gardener who will join us at around 12.30 this afternoon you can call Bernie with those questions 1850-333-103 you can always text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 if you're on Facebook send us a message uh, via messenger to C103 Cork on Facebook and Peter joining us after 12.30 so that and more to come and between now and one o'clock this afternoon and as always your views are welcome on those contacts I gave there we'll, we'll be discussing the easing of restrictions very shortly and as I mentioned there uh, the uh, teachers and Gardaí who are unhappy all that to come in between now and 11 Bush something else that's making the news this week and this when it comes to the Beacon Hospital still remaining in the stories a lot of people unhappy angry at this it's kind of the privilege in society again isn't it the rich uh, looking after themselves a lot of people are saying and yesterday it came out that the chief executive of the VHI that he has now stood aside from his post at the state-backed health insurer after it ordered an investigation into his COVID vaccine at the Beacon Hospital. John O'Dwyer's abrupt move yesterday raises further questions for the Beacon. It's a privately owned hospital and it's facing more claims that they, and this is reports coming from a number of the papers today, including the Irish Times, who say that vaccines were also offered to other health insurance figures whom the hospital did business with. Now, a senior industry source told the Irish Times that the Beacon was known to have approached certain staff at another health insurer saying they could avail of vaccinations at that hospital. It was also a part of a commercial relationship, uh, that source said. So uh, while people are arguing about vaccines and asking questions about the rollout, this is what's happening within a private hospital in Dublin. And away from vaccines, vaccines for the moment and let's look at house prices because a lot of people who have been trying to buy a house over the last number of years have been trying to save a deposit some not all but some if you're lucky enough to have kept your job with everything going on over the last year and and you are working from home or maybe you're lucky enough to be working uh, in the office and if you're a a frontline worker well then you are working uh, and you are able to save money maybe not going out as much not doing the things we all do not paying for various fees for games and that not well Uh, house prices 
even though people are saving to buy a house, they have jumped and they've jumped nearly €20,000 over the last year. And usually would say uh, at the start of last year, some people were thinking that because of the pandemic, house prices would decrease. And that's what you would think would happen. Uh, But no, it's gone the opposite. They've increased. And unlike the recession the last time where people had no money to save, people have saved money. The evidence is there. So the fear now here is they could go up again. If you see a house for 250,000, let's say anywhere in Cork, more or less the city prices are still remaining higher than the county prices. And you go to put an offer down on that house. What could happen is somebody else is going to put down an offer. And then when they put down an offer... Uh, there'll be a bidding war but it depends who has saved the most money and that's where the problems would lie with house prices even though they have gone up they will go up further when it comes to the bidding wars uh, that will take place and simply because whoever has saved the, much, uh, the amount of money to bid on that house will win or who has more money and that's what always works but because people are saving more money now uh, it is going to push up the demand and when you have one house that might have gone on the market for 250 and sells for 280 the house next door who are considering selling well they'll look at this and they'll say well if they can get 280 we'll put ours up at 280 and that's what's happening over the last number of months in the city and where I'm living in the city that's very evident at the moment from speaking to people who are thinking of selling up a lot of people looking at leaving the cities not so much here in the regions of Cork and Limerick or elsewhere but in Dublin the amount of people I know in Dublin who are originally from Cork or Kerry or Clare or Limerick and are living in Dublin. The only reason they're living in Dublin is for work reasons. The amount that are trying to get out. I mean, I've never seen people say that, no, we're looking, you know, we're looking around. We want to get out of here. We can work remotely. No need for us to be in Dublin. So there's that as well, where people are living in Dublin now are looking to come home. And even at that, I know my own mates who would have lived in Cork City are moving back home to West Cork because, again, they can work remotely. So it is a change and a change in shift. And Dublin is the one whereby prices won't be rising as high, even though they are still higher than other areas of the country and Cork is the next city where we'll see an increase over the next number of years so that's what's happening at the moment in the housing market Uh, but as I mentioned jobs there and people who are looking uh, to save money uh, well the job prospects for the young uh, for female and indeed the lesser educated well they have been affected according to the central bank their governor or deputy governor uh, Sharon Donnery she has said uh, that with uh, those with no college education they were twice as likely to be out of work and the young were severely impacted also their worry is that with people when they remain out of work for a longer period of time it's harder to get back into the workplace and then there's the mindset of being unemployed so long it might be tough to motivate yourself going back into the workplace and I have a number of texts into us within the last number of minutes and this follows a story that Barry had on our news at 10 there and this is from Anne who says Good morning JP West Cork will not be COVID free for long as West Cork is now full of dubs down in holiday homes since last Saturday They are travelling down by night with boats and everything strapped on Dublin still have very high numbers uh, says Anne on text and also Marie a very similar text from Marie who says I'm aware of 
people who have travelled overnight and have landed last weekend into their holiday homes, not only here in Cork, but also in parts of Kerry and Clare that travelled before Gardaí are getting strict. And the reason people are texting in about that is because, and Barry mentioned this and had it on News at 10, uh, beauty spots in all areas of the country, but here in Cork, such as East Cork and West Cork, they will be targeted now by Garda patrols this weekend. And because last Easter, if you remember, we were inundated with calls from people, uh, more so in the West Cork area, who said that those travelling from outside of Cork had flocked to their holiday homes and travelled overnight. And the main thing was that they were travelling overnight to avoid the Garda checkpoints. And because of what happened last Easter, and many those of those that travelled down were uh, apprehended and spoken down at by locals who were at that time very fearful of what could come out from the virus uh, and made their feelings known. So there was, some would say, not all, but in some areas there was high tensions between those who had moved into their holiday homes for Easter and those who were always and remain living in that area uh, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Anyhow, the superintendent, Con Cadigan, he is out ahead of this weekend and he says due to what happened last year and the influx that appeared last Easter to the West Cork area for the holiday period, they are going to have a higher presence on the road. Now, he says so far this year, uh, there has not been an influx of people to the area this week, but Gardaí are expecting that people will attempt to travel to their holiday homes over the coming days and that additional checkpoints are now being set up as you approach the West Cork region and also across many of the beauty spots and amenity areas. But according to a number of texters reacting to that story we had on our news at 10, they're saying too late, they're already there, they've come down Saturday, they knew what the Gardaí would do and they have travelled before uh, these new checkpoints will be implemented. So uh, your views are welcome on that. Uh, more so the tourist areas of Cork are being affected uh, by that. Uh, East Cork and West Cork 1850-333-103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 and some good news for a local author because the thriller novel by Clonacilty author Louise O'Neill that has been snapped up and it's been snapped up by a TV production company and they're the production company behind the hit series uh, Peaky Blinders uh, the BBC series which is uh, doing so well at the moment and is an Achillean Murphy from Cork starring in that as well so good Cork connections here after the silence, uh, her adapted, it's going to be adapted into a TV series. It's Tiger Aspect Productions. They're the gang who are going to produce this. Of course, uh, Louise won. Didn't she win the Unpost Irish Crime Novel Award for, for last year? Anyhow, the novel uh, itself, it tells the story of the death of a young girl at a party and the documentary crews, uh, they attempt to uncover the truth 10 years later on this. So well done to Louise O'Neill from Clonacilty. Uh, that thriller novel, uh, which she has uh, written, is going to be snapped up by that production company, the same company who produced the hit BBC series Peaky Blinders. So well done to her. 1850. 333103 Our lines are open or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 discussing those restrictions and the easing of those and the vaccination rollout very shortly. Still a lot of people asking what will happen across the summer? Will we be able to go out and dance? Well, not too sure. Uh, you, can, you can dance anywhere you want to but I don't think we're going to have uh, th- those dancing venues or nightclubs open anytime soon. Uh, but they will reopen again. And good morning to John on text and a few more who were asking about 
about the fuel allowance in date for this year. Uh, the fuel allowance for this year, the in date is Friday the 9th of April. So it finishes up on Friday the 9th of April. Hopefully that helps you out there. 1850-333-103. Lines open. Text and WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And on the way, we'll be going into detail on that roadmap announced yesterday by the government on that address the donation from Michal Martin on the easing of restrictions over the next number of months. We'll be joined next by our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 The government has announced the roadmap of some restrictions which will ease over the next month. Our political correspondent, Sean Defoe, joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Sean. Morning. Uh, first of all, the challenge that faced on Taoiseach Michal Martin yesterday uh, while he was addressing the nation was to give some message of hope. But still, uh, did the government have any other option or any other approach to take than uh, taking a cautious one, considering that COVID numbers and cases are so high in many parts of the country? Uh, no, they, they, they definitely didn't. And if it's very stark warning to Minister Cabinet Subcommittee on Monday will have dispelled any doubts among them that they, they could do anything different. But at the same time, they knew the people are at their wit's end after three months in lockdown and that we have to, to look ahead now that the vaccination programme is starting to ramp up to what we might be able to do. So I think they have very much tried to find that balance between easing some restrictions in, in critical areas, but also avoiding a fourth wave before summer, which health officials say could be a very real possibility if things were to be done badly. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of people questioning the vaccination rollout change. We'll get to that shortly. But on those easing of restrictions, I think the the first thing that people always wanted to know was the 5k limit and when things would change there. And there was a lot of relief yesterday when they did mention that from April 12th, people can now travel within their own county and on border areas, travel 20k uh, to neighbouring counties. But what what else has been mentioned now from the 12th of April? I know housing is a big uh, question. A lot of talk today on house prices. And when it comes to housing, construction workers, they'll be able to get back soon. That's right. So from the 12th day is going to be your first big announcement date in April. Nothing happening on the 5th uh, as has been well flagged. And as you said, is that travel within your, your county or 20 kilometres from your home into another county. Uh, two households will be able to meet outdoors for social and recreation me- uh, reasons. Uh, outdoors doesn't mean back gardens. Outdoors means uh, parks or mountain trails or, or the beach or wherever it is that you happen to meet up. But you can go for that social walk uh, with somebody or with, with another uh, household. All residential construction is also going to resume on the 12th, which will be welcome now the construction industry federation saying today they're disappointed that the whole uh, construction industry can't open but realistically this is the vast majority of it because you already had about 40 percent of it open with the exemptions that have been in place since january this is all work on on homes and apartments and then what's left is basically offices and commercial spaces which is going to be looked at in the context of may uh, so they're they're the real um, ones that kick in in april 12th and one that kicked in actually yesterday is this idea of a vaccine Bonus. We were told we were told it would be April twelfth. They actually made it uh, effective immediately. Whereby uh, two people or two households that have been fully vaccinated can meet indoors without social distancing, without masks, as long as they've both been fully vaccinated. And it's two weeks after the um, the second vaccination. And that is something that I think you're going to see in future announcements be expanded and be looked at more as more and more people do get vaccinated. At the moment, it's about 225,000 people who could put themselves in that category who from today are able to go visit other fully vaccinated people. But that will, of course, ramp up as time goes on. And then looking towards sport, a lot of people look towards the summer months and they're saying, OK, we're hearing everything you said there, but what's happening with sport? And the changes there come in on the 19th, don't they, Sean? And so starting with the GEA, and this is basically, I suppose, to allow them to start training to get ready for the summer season. 
Yeah, so the, the training for inter-county GA is going to be allowed from the 19th with a view to starting a league uh, in May and then obviously we don't know exactly what's going to happen with the championship. That'll all be, I'm sure, uh, decided by the GAA further down. But it essentially just, uh, there was obviously a little bit of controversy in January last year. The GAA had been inclu- included among professional sports, elite sports that has been allowed to continue the Six Nations, the, the soccer, everything else. Uh, they're basically redoing that. So they are now classified as an elite sport from the 19th and can get back to uh, training and other high-performance athletes uh, still to be defined exactly what that means but I suppose um, people who might be training for the Olympics etc they'll be allowed to do a little bit more training and then for uh, wider sports participation that's going to be a week after that on April 26th so you're going to allow uh, outdoor sports golf and tennis for example can return you're going to see the opening of some outdoor soccer pitches and for training for uh, underage um, uh, underage children can resume their training non-contact in pods of 15 the way the way it used to be before uh, Christmas essentially. And then the, from the 26th of April, as you mentioned there, with underage uh, distance sports such as golf and tennis, they'll be able to come back. The big one here is from two groups we've heard uh, over the last number of weeks, the zoos and the wildlife parks. I know here in Cork, Photo Wildlife Park, they had concerns that if they didn't reopen sooner, they were looking at the viability of their business into the future. But the good news is they'll be able to re- reopen and get back uh, working from the end of April. Yeah, a bit, a bit of a sensible approach here, I think. So the likes of FOTA, uh, which, like anyone who's been there, obviously will know that can be done in a very safe way. There's a lot of open spaces. You don't need to be very near to people. So, you know, that'll be good to, to have that back. The same with uh, Dublin Zoo and the same with some other attractions. We don't yet have a, a full list of what that is, but uh, places like Glendalough, like the Cliffs of Moher, like the, these kind of attractions in different counties around the country that will be allowed to open for people to go for their, their walks and their, their meet-up with one other household if they wanted to. The other big announcement, I think, on uh, April 20th, is going to be in relation to funerals as well. So they're going to be able to increase from 10 mourners to 25 for, and um, I mean, anyone who has been unfortunate enough to have had uh, someone close to them die in the last year will know how utterly difficult it has been to not be there and for close family not to be there. So while it isn't maybe to the scope that we would all be used to with you know, good old-fashioned Irish funerals, the beast that should allow all of the close family to be at that uh, from the end of April. Yeah, and that was a big thing as well. Weddings was another thing we were getting questions on this morning. It, there's no change as such to weddings at the moment. It still seems to be a low number of guests for weddings. Yeah, no no real change. And a few people asked me this morning, well, why aren't we in the same breakfast? You know, the two of them have been tied together, obviously, for a while. But I think the, the thinking there is that it's something the government will look at in, in May and June again. But they really, uh, all the big focus in this plan is avoiding congregation and avoiding large congregations in kind of parties, uh, celebrations like that. So unfortunately, uh, anyone who has their, their wedding plans is going to have to wait a little bit longer to, to expand that guest list. Yeah, and then while we mentioned what's reopening there over the next month, they do say over the summer they'll be easing restrictions slowly and May is the next month that we're all looking towards and the big thing is uh, the opening of the barbers and the beauticians. Everybody needs a haircut, but when are we likely to see the reopening of those and indeed retail? And retail has been closed for a long time as well. People want to go out and buy shoes, buy clothes and buy those items. So what's the timeline here? And and there are priorities for May, uh, they mentioned yesterday. Yeah, I'm very lucky that only a few people get to see me at the moment with the hair is getting truly, truly out of hand. But uh, we should be able to get haircuts from May. So they, this was one of the things the ministers were pretty acutely aware of going in yesterday. They need to give people a roadmap that, that there was a lot of fatigue with the restrictions. People need to be able to see that light at the end of the tunnel. And so what you're going to see as an overall strategy, I think, over the next while is like, the next announcement will be only in three weeks' time. We're not going to have this big yawning gap that it feels like we've had since Christmas where basically nothing changed. There will be something 
easing every single week out to the end of April. In the last week of April, there'll be another government meeting and they'll decide exactly what can happen in May. And I had a couple of ministers stress to me last night, look, what we said yesterday, it is not an exhaustive list. We are absolutely hoping to add things to that and that more can be open in May. But of course, they have to be guided by the public health advice and how the vaccination programme is going. But what's definitely on the cards is the full reopening of construction, so uh, including those commercial premises that I talked about, office building, those kind of things. A phased return of retail, so that will like, how that will likely operate is from a date like May 4th, you'll see click and collect return, and maybe two weeks later you'll see actual non-essential retail shops being allowed to open their doors and people being allowed to go in and do a bit of a shop again. As you mentioned, hairdressers also said to open at some point in May and other personal services, beauticians, nail salons, things like that, and churches as well, which had been a big one for uh, a lot of people in the run-up to Easter that had been hoping maybe we'd get in uh, and, and get back to, to Mass for Easter. That isn't going to happen. Instead, it's going to be looked at in the context of May. And there are other things that, that may well be added to that, depending on, on uh, how the situation unfolds over the next month. Yeah, and is it then what's going to happen is every month we're going to hear more and more, so we know now about May, are we going to hear in April what likely is the change for June and July? Is that the way that they could work this over the next number of months? Because the more people that get vaccinated, the more decisions they can make then on what they can open. Exactly, exactly. That's the way they're hoping to do it, so they will give you the definites for the month to come. So say at the end of April, last week of April, we will get here's what's definitely happening in May and the timeline for that, and here's what we hope to do in June. And then at the end of May again, you'll get, okay, here's what's happening in June, and here's here's what we hope to do in July as we go on. And they are trying to give some signals into the summer as to what can happen. Minister Eamon Ryan uh, at the press conference yesterday when I asked him said that he thinks people will be able to go on staycations and will be able to holiday in Ireland this summer. Now, somewhat worryingly, cabinet ministers were told at their meeting yesterday that it could be July before the inter-county travel ban actually lifts, which would seem a very long time. And some of the ministers present said that's that's not nearly ambitious enough. We need to move that up. It's in no way set in stone and they are going to to look at it, I would think, if they're talking about opening the likes of hotels and B&Bs, which the Tornish mentioned yesterday, in June, then that's around the time you might see the likes of the inter-county travel uh, ban, because, uh, you know, it, it's fine in a county like Cork, where you can go to the other end of Cork to, to go to a very nice hotel and get a break, but in some other counties, I think people would want to be getting out and going a bit further. But all of this to be to, to be seen. I think the big message that ministers wanted to push yesterday after their meeting was that this is the start of reopening. It is hopefully only going to go one way. We're going to get as many vaccines into the country in April as we did in the first three months of the year. And that is going to have a very, very big change on what's possible uh, for the next few months into the summer. Yeah, and as you mentioned there, we're lucky enough here in Cork, it's a massive county, so it, you can travel three hours and still be in the one county. But if you're in other counties, maybe such as Leash or, or Louth, it, it does restrict you and where you can go. So you can see why other counties are, are asking that maybe more than we are here in Cork. So are we going to see any more? You mentioned there about the word vaccine bonuses. Could we see them being dropped in over the next number of weeks and months as well when things change? Uh, we definitely could, and you, you are lucky. I had a friend of mine who was living in Dublin who was complaining that someone in Cork could travel the full length of the county, which would be the same distance as it is for him to get home to Kilkenny, and he can't do it. So people are very envious of of, uh, of the space that you have down there. But uh, yes, vaccine bonuses, I think, are going to, to, to ramp up, and that's what was been signaled. So this is very much the first of them, and it makes so much sense. I mean, if two people have been fully vaccinated, um, why wouldn't you allow them to meet up? They, they are safe, and they, they can have a bit of a life again. And it's great for, particularly because it's going to be the older age group, so the likes of a small community, a small village where most of them will have probably been vaccinated 
vaccinated uh, quite quickly if they're an older population. They can go in next door, visit the neighbours and have a bit of a life again after so long of being indoors. And we're going to see that ramp up as more and more people get vaccinated. There's probably going to be more freedoms. There is obviously a risk that you get to the point where all the under 30s are sitting there not allowed to do anything and the rest of the, the country can potentially go out and party. But that's a, that's a, that would be a good problem, if you like, after the, the year that we've had something that we could have to, to get through. And the thinking is this, uh, particularly in the changes to the vaccination rollout that they announced yesterday, this gets all the vulnerable, gets all the older people who are at more risk if they catch it done first. And that really changes the game in terms of what we can do because um, it does happen that among younger people there obviously have been deaths and there have been very uh, people who have been very, very sick. But statistically, it's far less likely to happen than among older age cohorts. And they say the rollout, looking at the UK, it will go faster this way, but others are critical, such as teachers and the Gardaí. Uh, they feel they should be included before the general population does get vaccinated because of the roles they play in frontline services. How will the government react to that? I mean, we're going to speak to a teaching organisation very shortly on the show. Uh, a lot of teachers texting in this morning and indeed members of Gardaí who were very angry. Yeah, and it, I mean, you can understand that, um, particularly for, for Gardaí who are, and particularly, I, I understand particularly for younger Gardaí, because if you're a younger guard, you're far more likely to be out on the beach as well and having to deal with something like breaking up a house party or, or in some sort of situation that uh, you would uh, potentially be put at risk and they're going to be further down the vaccine rollout list than they, they would have been. The same with teachers, the same with like family carers who have been uh, look to be pushed up and childcare workers as well. So they do, do have a gripe. I, I asked Tishik about this yesterday at the press conference and what he said is that the most vulnerable teachers and Gardaí, the older ones, will actually probably get vaccinated sooner because of this change because they'll be put into the uh, to those age cohorts. And the big difficulty that they had and, and one of the things that slowed down a bit of the rollout when they were looking at the Category 4, the people with underlying conditions, is there aren't lists of these people very readily available. Sometimes you're dealing with GPs who don't don't have much of an online system. Indeed, the HSE doesn't have much of an online system. In many cases, you're looking at paper-based records, trying to sort through, okay, which patients do we have to put here? Uh, which patients do we have to prioritise? This does away with that. Instead, you say, okay, everyone between the age of 60 and 64, you come forward in this group, and then when we're done on that, we move on and move down. And that that is the thinking Michal Martin was saying behind this actual change, that in that way, when we have much more supply um, as we should have over the next couple of months, fingers crossed, that it will allow them to, to bang through those age groups quite a lot quicker. And the ones he's talking about, the 10 to 15 cohorts in the original vaccine list, the now scrapped one, that's the vast bulk of the population. The ones we've done so far are actually quite a small uh, group through the first 10 cohorts of vulnerable people. Uh, and also thinking that in that group is anyone with underlying conditions, uh, anyone particularly medically vulnerable, and anyone over the age of 70. So by the time you have them done, there's far less risk of the health service being pushed in terms of hospital and ICU admissions uh, because those cohorts are, are particularly at risk. Okay, and very finally, Sean, uh, just a few questions in from listeners. I'm not too sure if you have this information now or not, but anyhow, I'll throw it out and we can get answers later if not. Uh, Nora in Mitchellstown is asking, does anybody know or does Sean know about essential driving lessons? Are they reopening or was there any talks of that yesterday? Any information on that, Sean? Uh, in terms of essential driving lessons, no, there wasn't uh, any talk of it yesterday, and I know it is an issue for, for some people. Minister Eamon Ryan did mention uh, the overall issue of, uh, of driving tests and driving lessons being looked at in the context of May, so that would be my expectation as to when it would happen. But in terms of that, whether there will be a prioritisation for essential workers, as, as quite arguably there should be, um, there isn't a definitive line from the government yet. And Amy's wondering, as you mentioned there about churches, any idea if communions are confirmations? Was there any talk about that yesterday? I presume they'll fall in under the churches, but maybe it's that they also send decision more than a government one. 
I, I think that probably would be. You probably would look at it in the context of May, whether they can reopen. But I'd say if they do reopen, there will still be restrictions on. So I, I, I would hold out some hope that they can still happen, but they haven't been mentioned uh, specifically yet. And very finally, on the variants and all the various variants we hear of, uh, a few people asking, if another strain comes in, I mean, are they looking at that? Are, are they playing it safe that if we do see another variant arriving into this country, uh, will the measures go back as fast as they open? Or was there any talk of that yesterday within the press conference? There is real hope among ministers that whatever they do, and this is kind of why they're being cautious, they won't have to roll things back. That's an absolute nightmare situation for them. A couple have mentioned to me Angela Merkel and what happened to her and the whole transfer lockdown over the Easter break that she had to roll back on. They really do not want to end up in that situation. No one can predict a new variant. It's, it's really difficult to do so. There's obviously more genome testing going on than there has been to try and identify them. And there was, interestingly, a row at Cabinet yesterday over expanding the Mantry Hotel quarantine list. It was uh, at least the Irish Independent yesterday that there would be 10 other countries added to it, including some big hitters like the US, France and Germany. Yet there's been no formal discussion at the government uh, level or, or, or sign-off on it, indeed, between the Department of Health and the Department of Foreign Affairs, which is what would happen uh, under the legislation. So Minister Simon Coveney particularly annoyed at that coming out and very much hitting back at it, but it is likely that list is going to be expanded. So that the whole idea of managed hotel quarantine is to keep variants out. This does seem to be a change in policy because we haven't seen any US variants or, or Fre- French variants, German variants, etc. so far. So now they're just looking at risky countries with very high levels of the virus. But the hope would be that if one is identified quite quickly in terms of a new variant, that you would be able to put that on the list and hopefully uh, stop it from coming into the country in the way that the B117 did from the UK at Christmas. But, I mean, this virus just wrecks all the best laid plans, doesn't it? So you, you, you couldn't give any sort of promises. Hopefully not, but um, any sort of new variant could, of course, come down the line in the future. Very good, Sean. Well, thank you for all that information this morning. No doubt we'll be chatting over the next number of months on the more easing and the further easing of restrictions. But for the moment, thanks for joining us this morning, Sean. Thanks, Cheers. Thanks. That's Sean Defoe there, our political correspondent, on what was announced yesterday regarding the easing of those restrictions. And one of those that we mentioned there was the changes to the vaccination rollout and how now we're more so going on age basis alone. That's at once the over 70s and those with underlying conditions and the medically vulnerable are vaccinated. Appointments then will go on the basis of age. But not everybody is happy. We'll hear from the teaching organisations next on why they feel teachers should be uh, prioritise when it comes to vaccinations. We'll speak with the ASTI next. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now, teachers have criticised the new changes to the government's vaccination rollout, and Anne Lochnan, who's an ASTI representative in Cork, joins me on this. Good morning to you, Anne. Good morning, John Cole. And thanks for joining us this morning. Now, we've got a number of teachers on to us over the last hour or so who say, you know, they spend a day with a number of students in the classroom and their concern now with the changes to the rollout is if one of them uh, was to get the virus because of a student or because of a spread, uh, what will happen in the future to schools? And that is a concern for many this morning on our text lines. Oh, what's, the, what's the view from the ASTI in this? I mean, the government have made their decision and they're sticking with it, age only. Well, first of all, John Paul, thank you for the opportunity of letting me speak to your listeners on behalf of the ASTI. Uh, we are absolutely shocked. This came totally suddenly, out of the blue, in fact, and we had no warning that this was happening. We have been working to a system where we were placed 
in a very a definite position. It was quite low down the list at number 11. And while we were unhappy with that, we did know that all of our teachers were going to be vaccinated at that stage. Now it's all up in the air, really. And it seems to have come as a result of administrative difficulties as much as anything else and not having an integrated IT system uh, in place for this with the government not having the IT resources to deal with it as they had planned in the first place. Now, that is really not good enough for teachers whose lives are at stake. We're going into the classroom for prolonged periods of time every day. We're frontline essential workers. We have to go and do our work in that situation. And we feel totally disregarded this morning what has happened. The government has said that it's a key objective to keep schools open. And we agree with keeping schools open. But we certainly need a far greater level of attention to the welfare teachers who are going into that situation. For example... Uh, I suppose people in their 50s working from home will now be vaccinated under this system before teachers who are going into the classroom with young people, huge groups of young people. In in realistic terms, it is impossible to maintain adequate social distance at all times in the day-to-day running of a school, no matter how well you try. So that makes no sense to us. So while schools, the government say, are being safe and are a safe place to work, your concern would be, I mean, I'm not sure the average age of a teacher. Would you have a younger within the ACI? Would there be a younger cohort or, or would you have a mixed age group? Oh, it's very much mixed from, um, I suppose, teachers at the beginning of their careers right up into teachers in their 60s. So we're concerned for all our members. And the high transmissibility of this new variant, which indeed the teacher, I think, called yesterday evening, almost a new, it's... it's um, it's a new uh, infection in itself and highly transmissible, highly dangerous. We see from the results that are coming in there in the daily testing that the numbers of young people being infected with it now are very high in comparison maybe to the earlier stage when it was concentrated in older people. And indeed, we are very much relieved and delighted that the older cohort in our community are in the process of being vaccinated and many of them have been vaccinated. That's a great relief to them. But our concern is for teachers and their lives. And what do you say, like I have a few comments in here. First of all, uh, Mary agrees. She says, when I'm out and about, I see a number of students and these would be secondary school students who were all mingling together. Some, and this is just some, Mary says, having so-called outdoor parties, including drink. I know it's underage, but they do, it, they do happen, says Mary. But then they're going to a classroom on a Monday morning and they can prove or threaten a teacher with the virus as they're all gathering at the weekend, says Mary on text. But then another text who says, I'm listening to JP at the moment and all I am hearing is about teachers thinking they should get the vaccine first, but no mention of the retail workers who have been open all throughout the pandemic. These groups are forgotten. So, I mean, the argument would be, why then should teachers be getting the vaccine ahead of those working in your local super value store? And we're not in any way asking for that. And we are very supportive and very grateful to all of the medical and frontline staff, as you said, in stores and all the rest of it who have kept our country running. But indeed, teachers have rode in with this effort as well. And it's not just teachers who are unhappy this morning. Many other groups are unhappy. I've heard the Guard, the Representative Association, is very unhappy with this as well. They work in a similar situation. And coming back to what you said um, while many students and many young people are, are, are observing, I suppose, the restrictions that have been put in place and are very sensible about it, we have no control over the groups that aren't observing it. And I totally agree with you. There are groups who are uh, behaving in a very irresponsible manner and they will be going into classrooms and we don't know who they are and we don't know what is in to meet us. And 
Oh, we're just very, very concerned. I think we're just shocked and dismayed, really, by what has happened. And we're calling on the government to reconsider this situation uh, in light of... I know other groups are calling for it we, to, to be re-examined, but we certainly are calling for the government to look again at this. And while you're calling on that, the schools due to go, all go back now on the 12th of April... Or do you feel this decision now could undermine the efforts to keep the schools open? Basically, what I'm asking is, could the likes of the ASTI and others threaten action over this? And could the schools close again? Well, I would say, first of all, our priority is to keep the schools open. And we have worked very closely with government to do the very best possible plan for keeping them open. And we have discussed every aspect of this opening at length with government. And I suppose what dismays us most of all is that this was announced without any consultation or without any prior notice to us. In relation to your question, you will know that our national um, convention, our annual convention, is coming up next week. And I know that this will be a big issue for discussion there. And at the end of the day, our executive takes decisions as regards what will be... um, what will happen. So that's all to be discussed by both our National Convention of Delegates and our Executive um, because this is very new. We only heard about it yesterday Mm. evening and we're just trying to get to grips with it. And Anne, if that does within your Executive team there and the teachers will be having a say in this and going on what I'm getting this morning on WhatsApp and text, the majority of teachers think this is very unfair and if there was for example a vote to be pushed over the Easter period when you have that convention if teachers say no we're not going back then could schools close and could you within the ASDI say our members don't feel safe in going back so we're not going back uh, that's the question that especially parents want to know today could that happen well, is there a likelihood to happen if your teachers your members say no we're not going back we don't feel safe well I wouldn't speculate on anything like that and I certainly don't want to add any drama to this I can only tell you that this is a very serious issue which will be considered over the next week, next next few days and next week by our teachers at convention and our executive and we will have to await decisions in that. But again, we don't want to jump the gun on anything. Unlike the government announcing this, we want to consult uh, with our members and indeed we want to get into consultation with the government to see what can be done. And I also want to mention to you, you know, we have the expert advisors to the government but not all experts would agree, uh, you know, on this issue. For example government quotes their experts and method and all the rest of it but one example I would give you here in Cork a well-known professor Jerry Killeen in UCC he's a noted expert on infectious diseases and he has expressed a very different point of view there at the weekend I'm sure many of your listeners heard him he spoke about the dangers attached to the full reopening of schools present and I've just heard Professor Kingston Mills on this morning disagreeing with the decision that has just been taken by government so you know this is not a united front in the scientific field and we have to listen to all opinions and take on board what they are saying and make our decisions after that. But what I would say to teachers and parents out there, we really want the schools to continue working in the safest possible way and we will be taking no rash decisions, but we are highly concerned. So while there's no talks of on strikes or anything like that, you are you will be meeting up and, and, and looking at those concerns and it could lead to changes after Easter. That possibly could happen. I know you don't want to speculate, but th- that is a possibility. If, if they don't go back and vaccine teachers, that is a possibility. I would say you were taking it very seriously. OK. Uh, and for the moment, we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us this morning on the issue. And we'll await and see what happens, I suppose, now over the next number of days. But for the moment, and thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. And I would just ask people 
uh, teachers and students and parents to try to remain calm and enjoy the break in the good weather. You know, we are working at this. We have the concerns of everybody in school at heart and we will look for the best possible outcome in this. OK, well, we'll wait and see what happens for the moment. And thanks for joining us this morning. Anne Lochnan, there, an ASTI representative here in Cork. Your views are welcome uh, on that. And uh, after what Anne said there, how do you feel on the vaccination programme? The change to which, which basically, again, is once over 70s, those with underlying conditions and the medically vulnerable are vaccinated appointments after that will be made on an age basis alone but the teaching groups feel it's unfair they're on the front line they say as you heard Anne saying and they want to be vaccinated but uh, what will happen if they are not and if things don't change alongside them you have the guardie and family carers who were also saying they should be given priority so your views are welcome on that and what Anna said there regarding teachers 1850 maybe you are a teacher love to hear from you uh, if you're on your um, midterm or Easter holidays at the moment. Great to get a teacher's viewpoint on this uh, first-hand experience. Uh, let us know. You can join me on air on 1850 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. On the way after 11, we'll be hearing about that disaster in the Suez Canal and the delays and what the impact is for Ireland and also uh, the future of opening the businesses during the summer and how some businesses would have liked a canopy over their whatever it could be, a shop, a restaurant. Uh, but was this allowed, especially in the North Cork area? That and more to come. 1850-333-103. Our lines are open. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And a lot of uh, queries and a lot of comments in to what we were speaking about there before 11 o'clock. And this was to do with the changes, first of all, in the vaccination programme and also the changes that are coming down the line regarding travel and the easing, basically, of the restrictions announced yesterday by Antishak Michal Martin. But what is really... Uh, has people engaged this morning is the view that is the, the vaccination rollout and the changes with that and again it's the over 70s once over 70s those with underlying conditions and the medically vulnerable are vaccinated appointments then for the vaccine will be made on the basis of age alone and a lot of groups are out and are angry at this we spoke just before 11 o'clock to Anne Nan, an ASTI representative here in Cork and teachers are angry they feel this should be included in the vaccination programme now because they are frontline staff and uh, they are going into a classroom every day with a number of students in front of them. Uh, a lot of people making the point and, and agreed with Anne on what she said. Others have different views but on that people asking about the Gardaí and the Gardaí surely should be uh, getting a mention on this as they also are policing uh, the uh, health restrictions and they're going into homes uh, dealing with the various incidents. So what is the view of the Gardaí? Well, the Garda Representative Association, they are meeting over this new system and they're going discussing this this morning. Uh, their president, Frank Thornton, he says, like you would expect him to say, that the Gardaí should be prioritised due to their role in policing uh, the pandemic. And he spoke earlier. Here's what he said. The treatment of, of our frontline members is disgraceful. And the rationale arrived at by NIAC is without transparency. And we have asked the minister, Minister uh, McEntee, for a meeting with NIAC to critique the matrix as to how they arrive at, at uh, A, the priority list, which now seems to be gone. But uh, again, like it is absolutely, we are disgusted. Well, NIAC making that decision. And I think a lot of people agreeing, though, 
that the Gardaí should be vaccinated. No one disagreeing with that, but the fact that they are doing their role, going into homes. One example there, even the teachers gave the fact that Gardaí are going in and dealing with domestic violence cases in homes. And they're also on the road and policing what is happening during this pandemic. So I don't think anybody would be against the Gardaí being vaccinated because of what is happening. But there's a different view uh, when it comes to the education sector. And here's some of the calls and comments in on regarding our chat with uh, the ASTI and why teachers should be prioritising teachers' points. First of all, Margaret on text says, yes, I think that teachers should be prioritised for the vaccinations as we need to keep the schools open, says Margaret. And Lisa, who is a teacher, she says, yes, teachers should be prioritised for the vaccination. After all, we, the teachers, are educating the future. Uh, which is very important. And Lisa says, if I dare say, more important than someone buying bread in a store. While shop workers should be considered, teachers are also frontline, is Lisa's view, who says she is a teacher and agrees with what was said earlier on looking at how now they can go forward after this announcement. A lot of parents worried after I was asking the ASTI and what they will do. I mean, a lot of the, uh, like the INTO and the ASTI and the TUI, they'll have their kind Conventions over the Easter. This is going to be a big topic according to the SDI and the others will be the same. So uh, what could happen if teachers say they won't go back due to what has happened with the vaccination rollout? Uh, could we see a strike or could we see a threat to schools reopening after Easter? A lot of parents very concerned about that. But one here from Eileen, who is a teacher, and she says, I disagree with all those teacher unions this morning. They're not speaking up for all of us teachers. Yes, they are for some, but not for me and others I know. I've been speaking to my own colleagues this morning and we agree with this new vaccination rollout and I think it should go on age only. I can understand concerns from the older members of our staff room. Uh, I can see totally where they are coming from, says Aline but still I think this is the way it should go it would be a faster rollout for the country and I disagree with our unions Aileen's union is the INTO she says and she says they do not represent me on this one. Uh, That's Aileen, thank you for your text on 0862103103 uh, a lot of other people uh, reacting to this. Uh, first of all, the texts are here, no name, but they says that, uh, those teachers are ridiculous. They have worked the least out of any so-called frontline workers and left the entire country down with their blatant selfishness. Quite clearly, this is the fairest and fastest way to distribute the vaccine and give the majority of teachers are in the lowest risk age group. It's clearly the best option, says that texter. While Nora is in Buttevant, Nora says she will be 70 in August and there is no sign of her getting the vaccine. She has had several medical appointments cancelled due to COVID. Why are the teachers complaining about not getting the vaccine? There are plenty more vulnerable people out there. And Pat is in for Moy. Pat making the point that the pressure groups like teachers and Gardaí are taking over their airwaves to read the vaccine. What about the shop workers and others? They have no pressure groups to speak up for them. And a factory worker here who says factory workers are at much closer quarters than teachers and pupils. And not a word about them because very rarely uh, are those in power working in factories and they've no one to speak up for them. While a texter here, again, no name, but it says teachers, teachers, teachers. I'm sick of them. I'm a frontline worker in a shop where I have to help people. I'm more outside the counter than behind it and I meet a few hundred people every day. I'm also working with young people. The government are doing their best and will get the vaccine when it comes around and it's our turn. But the older people 
must be looked after first. It won't be long more, says that person who works in retail. And John is in Mallow. He's a taxi driver and he says at the moment he's taking people to CUH for cancer treatment. He thinks the age profile is the fairest way to go because no one then can pull a stroke and go ahead of the pack, says John in Mallow. While a texter here is saying, John Paul, I'm actually sick of listening to those teachers. I want, I want, I want. They all have worked three full months. Put on your mask, sit behind your screen like retail workers. Pack of vultures, says this texter. I'm actually so annoyed. My husband is a diabetic with underlying conditions and he is waiting for his vaccine, uh, says that texter. And another person here, the gang and Kerry, they say two inquiries. They're asking, we do a lot of hill walking and wild camping in West Kerry. Is this permissive? And my friend works in a charity shop. Are they allowed? open or when are they allowed open? Well uh, as we were speaking with our political correspondent Sean Defoe earlier on that and the reopening of retail uh, they are their priorities for May I would presume that charity shops will be included in that but it will be May at some stage they'll be looking at reopening retail and we'll have an announcement we think anyhow maybe in the end of April start of May on that it depends on how things are going of course regarding the virus but uh, that's the latest we have on that you're looking at May and doing hill walking and camping uh, well it depends on where you're going hill walking I mean a lot of the walks here in Cork are open uh, but then there is some walks some cliff walks I know that are closed because there's fears there'll be too many people gathering on those walkways and could uh, hamper on what we're all doing in relation to stopping the spread of Covid but in relation to hill walks it just depends on, on what walk you're going on if the walk is open you you can walk now I mean you, you can walk outside they're encouraging people to walk I think everybody is walking uh, and uh, camping sites they won't be open for another while a lot of camping sites aren't if you're just putting up a tent yourself well depends on, on what the locals think of that I mean there is people who are just going out and setting up a tent in various areas uh, but at the moment uh, until the 12th of April it's everything within your 5k after the 12th of April then you can go county wide so it's kind of up to yourself I suppose on that one it depends where the hell you are going hill walking though uh, and if it's safe to do so and if it's open I know some walking areas are closed due to Covid but the majority I know around the county here in Cork anyway uh, seem to be open uh, so it just depends on where you are but on the charity shops that's looking like May so hopefully that helps you there the gang and Kerry and back to the issue of travel and we earlier we had a lot of texts in from people in the West Cork region when they heard the Gardaí will be out in force and this came on our news earlier this morning uh, from Chief Superintendent Con Cadigan who says Gardaí now are stepping up their weekend patrols and their patrols up to Easter to make sure people aren't travelling to beauty spots and indeed their holiday homes in West Cork. I've been inundated in the last hour with people from the West Cork region who are saying too late they should have done that last weekend holiday homes near me, the D-Reg cars, the, uh, those who have come down down from areas where there's high rates they're all down since last Saturday because they knew there would be uh, a heightened uh, policing on our roads from Wednesday or Thursday so it's a bit too late to be doing that is what the majority of texts are saying to us this morning that it should have been done last Easter and they're reacting the guard year to what happened last Easter when people did start travelling on this week but I think uh, following that a lot of our listeners are saying too late uh, the people have travelled overnight and a lot of texts are saying and they have examples of 
of uh, people working shift work, working in hospitals where they were travelling. The Bantry Line is the big place where uh, seemingly people are travelling to get into uh, the West Cork area and the Bantry Line, if for those who are unaware, that would be as you're going towards McCroom, you turn off at Crookstown and you head that direction uh, beyond Ben Le Blow uh, to head and you end up eventually you can turn off at the Manway or you can uh, drive on straight to Bantry and there's another number of turnoffs to go to different areas off that route uh, that's the Bantry line and that's what the majority of texters are saying to us this morning that that road was extremely busy last Saturday night into Sunday morning so where were the Guardi then is what a lot of people are asking they feel it's too late to be implementing these uh, restrictions only today anyhow that's the reaction to that John is in Mitchellstown John says when you're on about uh, the restrictions he's seeing car and cars with push bikes strapped to the back of the cars uh, going on a trip he says looking at this he just thinks it's a disgrace when all the older people in society are trying to stick to the restrictions and very shortly we'll be discussing what happened in the Suez Canal and uh, the container ship that got stuck there but what is the implications now for all of us here in Ireland will there be price increases will there be certain goods that we take for granted won't appear what is the knock on effects. Well, Dan in Ballonhasic says we don't need the excuse of a container ship stuck in the Suez Canal for rising prices. We are the best country in the world for rising prices, says Dan in Ballonhasic. And a bit of good news this morning. Dermot is in Mornabi. Good morning to you, Dermot. He saw his first swallow yesterday. He says very early for this time of the year, but he spotted his first swallow yesterday. So the swallows making their way back. Thank you, Dermot, in Mornabi for that maybe others have spotted the swallow as well every year we get people in uh, texting saying they have spotted the swallow it's kind of a good uh, summer feel isn't it and very finally on this text something we discussed earlier on the week on Monday and this is regarding uh, the government's plan to basically have people moving to rural areas and out of our cities and this texter says I was reading about that uh, plan yesterday this texter is calling it a fairy tale regenerating rural Ireland and people working from home and the person here is uh, speaking on Minister Heather Humphreys and what she has discussed this person is saying has she any idea how difficult it is to get planning in various areas of Cork on one's own land the planners have tunnel vision and use excuse after excuse to refuse planning yet I have noticed a few people working in various areas of the county who have got planning uh, with little or no difficulties at all who you know what you know and then they're looking at building a massive skyscraper in the city where is the planners directive here and where is the skyline they're looking at for the ever case here in Ireland is it all just do as I say and before Minister Humphreys continues on with this fairy tale she needs to address this problem and make it easier on people and not difficult on people to get planning in where they want to be living and especially on their own land. We don't all want to be shoved into towns and the government seems to be chipping away at all our choices lately, especially in the last year. So this person is asking the government to wake up and stop putting the cart before the horse, uh, says this texter. And on that issue of uh, planning and one-off housing and getting planning on your on your own land, we spoke to a councillor in Galbally in Limerick uh, in, earlier this year on that and he rose that issue. He brought that issue to government. Uh, he addressed it in Limerick uh, County Council and then it got addressed nationally. But he asked for others in various councils 
to support him. Now, maybe they have since he joined us on the show, uh, but he said he got very little support uh, from councillors in Cork on the one-off housing project. Uh, so, uh, I'm not too sure if that has changed, but he, what you were saying, he wanted that and he saw the vision of people wanting and looking to remain in rural areas and build on their own land and he wanted things to change, uh, but he said he got little support from Cork on that. Uh, so, not too sure. Maybe things have changed with regarding that on the skyscraper in the city. I think the majority of people are welcoming those developments in the city. I think the skyline in Cork is going to be high. And for a modern city, I think Cork really is in place now uh, to become one of the main cities in this country. Not that it isn't, uh, but I think when you come in or drive into Cork City at the moment, not that if you're lucky enough where I'm living, uh, it's within my 5k in the Mayfield Silver Springs area. So I'm more or less looking down at the harbour and you can drive in along the harbour and see all these high rise buildings. And it does reflect a, a modern European city. And I think if you want investment and people see that it will, having these skyline, having that type of skyline in will hopefully boost Cork is also going to be, all that area is going to be used for housing as well. So it should hopefully, anyway, uh, the way things are going, reduce the impact of those who are trying to buy a house. It might make that easier for people. Uh, but I think overall the skyline of Cork is going to be high. And is that not a bad thing? Is that a good thing? Would it, would it make people want to move to the Cork area and grow Cork in the future? Maybe get rid of those derelict. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Buildings we have along the Docklands which they want to regenerate and many that have been on to us are happy with that. Anyhow, your views welcome on that issue as well. 1850 also on the vaccination rollout, are you happy with the way it's going? The majority of people are, but you can see why the anger is there too from teachers and indeed from the Gardaí. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 on the way. We'll be finding out uh, what is the impact and how will this impact the delays in the Suez Canal? What can we expect now here in this country? Discussing that next. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Across Cork City and County, this is Cork Today on C103. 
And a lovely text in here uh, from a texter and a feel good kind of a text and we love those coming into the show and this is can you please give a mention to the under nine Mallow Town Football Club I was on night duty in Mallow Hospital on Monday night and we got a delivery of hero chocolates it was such a lovely gesture it gave us all a really great lift so uh, hello to all in the Mallow Town Football Club the under nines well done to you guys a great lift there you gave the gang in Mallow Hospital on Monday night and hello to everybody in uh, Mallow Hospital well done again to the gang there at the Mallow Town Football Club well done now yesterday the uh, giant cargo carrier the uh, Ever Given which uh, blocked the Suez Canal it was finally moved uh, nearly after a week of it being there it was wedged sideways and it did threaten the world's global economy but a lot of people asking surely this was foreseen uh, that this could happen and could threaten the global economy well joining me to get his view on this is a man we spoke to before on the show he's a world renowned a world renowned international maritime lawyer from Goline it's Michael Kingston good afternoon or good morning to you Michael good morning Jean Paul and thanks for joining us this morning I Thank mean you. first of all can you explain what happened here because to think that something like this could jeopardise the world economy and that you and others have foreseen this happening and warned them and nothing seems to have been done um, well first of all we don't know precisely what happened because um, all that needs to come out in in the wash. Um, there's been a lot of talk about sandstorms and, and wind and um, that affecting the ship. Um, but we know that um, having worked on Lloyds of London's report um, in 2013, the um, challenges and implications of removing shipwrecks in the 21st century, um, which was a very detailed report about all these um, issues, and we know that human error um, plays um, a part in 80% of maritime accidents. And um, we need to look at the um, vessel's voyage data recorder and all the statistics of the um, runner's statistics analysis to see if there was any mechanical failure. But it is known that you have to be very careful going through the Suez Canal because there is a particularly with such a massive ship, huge displacement of water, and there's a thing known in physics as the Bernoulli effect. And so as the ship is traveling along, it, it um, particularly around bends, um, it banks water um, up against the side of the canal, and that creates gravitational pull on the stern of the ship. And there was a bend, a sweeping bend just before the strait, and there is evidence to suggest that the vessel was going at significant speed and there may have been a loss of control. So um, that's the um, sort of analysis that needs to now be carried out to see precisely um, what happened. And has this happened before anywhere else in the world that we've seen something like this? And could this happen again if nothing has changed? Well, it has happened previously. The Suez Canal was closed for a while, a number of years back, for five um, five days, but of course we've seen uh, many accidents around the world involving um, large um, vessels, um, some of them close to our, our, our own shore. But the issue here is that this is a mega container ship. It, it had 20,000 capacity. It was almost full to capacity of containers on board. Um, one container is large for any of us that see them around West Cork um, in farms and, uh, and elsewhere. So you can ma- imagine how big it is with 20,400 metres long, a huge vessel. And when we worked on the um, Lloyds of London's report in 2013, 
um, there were two key, and in that that report arose out of the sinking of the massive um, passenger vessel, um, the Costa Concordia in Italy, where 32 people died, and there were 4,200 people on board, and it cost the insurance industry 1.5 billion um, to remove the wreck. So two of the key findings in the report were that um, one, there is a lack of salvage equipment located in strategic locations across the world to react quickly to casualty situations, and two, um, that there is a massive capability gap between the existing salvage capability and the um, the introduction of these huge um, ships. There actually is no equipment available for removing um, containers at such massive height outside of, of port. So this was an accident um, waiting to happen. In terms of an actual maritime casualty, it was in a canal and it was a a gentle grounding in terms of, of, of being able to deal with the situation and be able to um, dredge and, and remove the vessel. But the big concern is what if this happens um, on the Irish coast in the English Channel um, without equipment to remove the containers outside port, which is the obvious way to lighten the vessel and what will have to happen in order to prevent an instant turning very quickly into a massive um, maritime catastrophe. And nothing was done about that. We we um, lobbied the UK government at the time to have a, um, a levy put in place of 10 cent per container to build a fund to, um, to have the equipment in place in strategic locations around the world. Um, but unfortunately, it fell on deaf ears at the time. And we were told that it was a, a matter for the insurance industry and the maritime industry and that it wasn't a societal issue but we now know from this massive societal consequence um, which has run into billions that it is a societal issue. And when you mentioned there with the English Channel is there a fear that ships using that channel uh, bringing goods here to Europe or to the UK and Ireland that if something did happen you could end up having a ship crashing in the end on rocks and that could, uh, apart from a maritime disaster, cause a huge ecological disaster with diesel spilling from ships. If that did happen, um, yes, and it's not—it's not inconceivable that it will happen um, with a massive ship like this. It is, um, as we said back in 2013, only a matter of time. We warned um, in 2000 when we made this warning in 2013 on the entry to the Suez Canal, the Emma Musk, an 18,500 TU vessel, started listing badly and took on 18 metres of water um, into her engine room. But luckily, she managed to recover. But that was a, that was a stark warning. And we watched these ships um, g- going through the English Channel every day, and we can see them here in West Cork, south of the Fastnet Lighthouse, um, miniculizing the Fastnet Lighthouse as they pass. And if any of them have any mechanical failure, um, then there is only one place they're going to end up. Now, hopefully it won't happen, but around the world, it is only a matter of time before we have a grounding of one of these vessels. And we have no way of, of, of removing the, um, the, the um, containers. And where um, Ireland's perspective is concerned... Um, we all know about the MV altar that's sitting on the rocks off, off Ballycotton. We, we don't have a proper response uh, plan in place in Ireland for marine casualty response situations. 
Um, we we need to look at that urgently. Um, we we've had this problem for 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 a long time, and you know, many people will remember the Kowloon Bridge that sunk off the Stag Rocks, um, sank in 1986. Um, it suffered mechanical failure, and we'll remember um, the beaches of West Cork being totally polluted for for a number of years from the bunker oil, the heavy fuel oil that was. Um, that was on board, and so this is something that we need to look at and get our house in order so that we can respond to um, an emergency situation because it will happen again. And if there was, and not to scare people, but if there was something like this happened, for example, off the coast of the Mizzen, if a ship did run aground there and containers, as you said, the huge containers that they have on board all start falling around the place and, and the ship is crashing into the rocks, how long would it take for that necessary equipment that we have seen now in the Suez Canal or, or wherever else it, 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 this, this could happen across the world? How long would it take for that equipment to reach us here in Ireland? Well, I mean, we we, we have no... Um, there actually, the, the equipment actually doesn't exist for removing um, um, that crates or containers from such massive height off, off these um, vessels. It was... Uh, there's a template in place, Spitzer Salvage, in 2013. One of the salvage companies was seeking um, financial assistance to try and get this um, ready-made kit in place so that it could be um, um, brought to the site of the um, of the incident quickly. But the, we tried to get funding in place for that, and and. and one salvage company alone can't spend the capital on this just in case something like this happens. It needs an industry um, collaborative effort with government to try and to try and put it in place. So we would be waiting an awful long time. And when it, when a casualty incident does occur, um, we the first priority is the um, to safety of life to get the personnel off, and the second priority is the environment. So you remove the bunker. Um, bunkers of the vessels, that's the diesel um, from the vessels which are carried in vast quantity and while all this is happening as we know the weather will be deteriorating and the ship structure will be under um, threat and, and, and therefore it's critical at the same time to be trying to lighten the vessel to remove the cargo. It's fine in the Suez Canal where it's nice and calm and you can dredge either end with diggers and so on and so forth but that's not an option um, off the coast of, of County Cork or, or, or anywhere else in Ireland. So we really have a, um, a duty as a national um, authority and the relevant departments in Ireland to be pushing internationally for a system to be put in place so that equipment can be placed in strategic locations around the world. And just by comparison, um, John Paul, if you remember the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico um, back in 2010, um, the Deepwater Horizon disaster, as it's known. Hmm. There was no way of capping an oil well um, prior to that in an emergency situation if the blowout preventer failed. And so the oil industry, in conjunction with government assistance, put in, case, in place something called the OSPRAB, Prag capping kit, and it's now located in five locations around the world. Um, for for um, um, to be uh, actioned if if there is another incident, and so that is effectively what we need um, in the shipping industry. It's all very well having mega ships 
um, and 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 but but having no possible um, response plan for those ships is is madness. And in fact, that's what we called it in on the word I used in Singapore reporting on the Lloyd's um, um, report in 2013. We called it the madness gap, and that's what it is, and it still exists. So the 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 sewers. Um, um, issue with the ever given is a stark warning that we now need to put this system in place that we called for back in 2013. Well, hopefully lessons will be learned from this and they will uh, look at what the advice has been given to them to deal with situations like this uh, more so then from the average consumer point of view a lot of people asking us Michael what is the knock on effect now for Ireland following what has happened in the Suez Canal I mean there's talks of, of price increases uh, but what could we see delays maybe something on the supermarket shelves or deliveries what is the knock-on effect here for Ireland? Well, I mean, it remains to be seen, John Paul. We don't know precisely what was on board the Ever Given and all the backed-up ships, but, you know, we're talking about every conceivable um, um, item from pens to to ingredients from fa- for pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical industry to livestock in the backed-up ships, although more than likely that would be an export from, from Ireland, um, to... Um, Toys, um, food. I mean, twenty thousand crates. The way the way this works is that the um, the effectively the ships work on a round the world basis. They're like buses. They stop, pick up crate, drop drop them off, and then those crates get transshipped onto smaller ships from places like Rotterdam um, into Ireland, into Dublin, um, and 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 other ports. And so this has caused a massive backlog. And, um, of course, the Suez Canal is one of the arteries um, of of the world. And, and as we all know, that caused a backup of something like 450 vessels. So that's caused a shortage of oil in um, in northern, northern Europe with all the tankers that are backed up. So components for um, manufacturing um, of cars, um, possibly fertilizer, for the farming industry. So we're looking at um, um, a knock-on effect down the line, and it's going to take probably weeks and months for the um, shipping um, scheduling to get back into um, sync. Uh, And um, some ships have been diverted around the Cape of Good Hope, and so it all needs to get back into sync. So there's going to be a lot of um, cancellations of of shipping and so on and so forth. And, of course, we all live today in the new world of, of shopping online and a lot of those goods are, are basically coming on, on on those crates. So the knock-on effect will be felt down the line. It will get back to normal and, um, and, and we'll just have to um, soak up the consequences. Um, but it's a stark warning of, 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 of what can happen in this uh, critical um, supply chain and and also i'd like to point out john paul that what this um situation also highlights um and we should be acutely aware is the critical importance of the maritime community and the seafarers who through a lot of sacrifice and great difficulty in traveling during covid19 have kept our um supply lines going and you know we must spare a thought for all those mariners who have been backed up in the suez canal who couldn't um be discharged from vessels and sure. and and there is a debate going on at the moment about how mariners should be 
um, part of the um, prioritised group for the vaccination. And in fact, five United Nations um, bodies today, including the International Maritime Organization, have called for that to happen because they are critical to our supply lines. True, yeah, and, and they are frontline uh, for the moment, Michael. Thank you for, for that and explaining on what has happened and what is going to happen regarding that delay there in the Suez Canal. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, and you're back in Goleen now, Michael, are you? I am. I've been been based at home in Goleen now for the, for the last year, so um, it's been very interesting. In fact, I've never been busier with meetings because they're in our new world. They're all being done virtually. Yeah. So I'm actually, I'm actually pleased that I don't have to be traveling around the world to places like Anchorage and Alaska. And, and so it, it's it's nice to be home, although it's difficult circumstances for everyone. But every cloud has a silver lining, I suppose. True. Are you missing life in London? Big difference from uh, living in London to living in Goleen? Not really, no, no, to be perfectly honest with you. Home is where the heart is. Yeah. And... and um, it's great to be at home doing a bit of farming on the side and um, being with ne- great neighbours and, 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 and friends in a, in a great community. True. Very good. Uh, Michael, best of luck and we'll wait and see what happens here with that uh, disaster, as many are saying in the uh, Suez Canal for the moment. Thanks for joining us this morning. That is the world-renowned international maritime lawyer, uh, Michael Kingston, there joining us from Goline. 1850 lines open. On the way, we're going to be hearing how government departments have shot down a proposal for canopies to be erected outside businesses in North Cork, which will give them a boost over the summer. We'll hear more about that shortly. C103 Jobs. And on today's job spot, we have vacancies for a kitchen and wardrobe cabinet maker required for the East Cork area. Contact Aaron on 083-0604053 or email your CV to info at eastcorkkitchens.ie. A plasterer and apprentice plasterer is wanted for work in the Carrigaline area. You can contact Tommy on 086-194-3254 and a bacon assistant is wanted for the Canturk area. Applicants must be available to work early mornings and indeed on Saturdays email your CV to philpothomebaking at gmail.com or phone 086-292-5605. These jobs and a lot more you'll find right now if you go to c103.ie. Now the government has shot down a proposal by North Cork representatives to ease planning permission for shop front canopies. Councillor Deirdre O'Brien had raised a proposal last August in order to assist with businesses in the area. Many now, of course, are looking towards the summer months to reopen. And Councillor Deirdre O'Brien joins me on this this morning. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Good morning, John Paul. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. First of all, just outline what you were proposing uh, that would really enhance businesses looking ahead to this summer, I think, in a big way. Yes, that's right. It was actually my colleague, Councillor Governor Moynan, Darren McCroom, that actually raised it there last July. And she just had the full support of all of the um, chamber and especially with the Bradley Party, and we all supported her. What we were saying at the time is, well, look, we came into COVID there, and they were, um, I suppose, recommending the outdoor dining. So it would be, I suppose, anyone that wants to sit out, you know this country, like, you get the shower rain, you have to make a run. You know, if at least you could, at the shower pass, you've always breezes, you have the sun then maybe too strong coming down top of you. So if anybody wants to sit out, they would first sit under cover, maybe an awning of that. So we thought it was a good idea that the, sh- the shops then said, if they had cooked up canopies or awnings, they could put their outdoor furniture. And now in fairness to Cork County Council, they gave the exemption that um, to street furniture, normally you would have to um, go, re- I would say, make an application, but they were looking at this exemption at the moment and they were looking at case by case. 
But then we went to look at the awnings. It required planning permission. And you know the process of planning permission, like anyone building a house, would to be the same process. Like if you go through uh, about two, three months, and then you have to comply with the, um, an architect, you have to um, to draw plans and the whole, you know, to be waiting for submissions and whatever. So there's a tiny process in that. So what we did was we wrote to the department requesting an exemption. Like there, you can get some exemptions in planning, as you can know, with like maybe a shed out the back or an extension and within um, certain meters to the side of your house. So we thought maybe something like that. But, um, and the government came back and um, didn't give us a very fair response. So we wrote again to them. And again, we're get, after coming back with a very unfavorable response. They're literally saying that they're not going to amend the planning um, legislation to put an amendment into it. And it's quite disappointing because actually, you won't believe, as um, this morning, they've just announced 17 million for outdoor dining grants. And this money has to be spent, um, it, it says, used between April and September, and you apply for the grant before April 12th. Like, what's the point going in for furniture if you can't have your awning? You know, and, like, and even for this, they're saying, some of this furniture, you're going to need planning as well. Which by time you're going to go in for planning? You know, you're going to winter to be sitting outdoor. And you're not going to sit outdoor as we saw last winter. You know, we got a little bit of a good September, but after that, you definitely pulled your chairs in or you came in out of the cold, you yeah. know. So it's just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And Michael yeah. in Castleton Bear has sent in that screenshot uh, from a Fina Gale uh, website earlier saying what you said there about the outdoor dining area. So yeah. uh, while it's going to be looking like outdoor dining this summer, looking and, and hearing what uh, Michal Martin has said yesterday, why then, what excuse is the local minister for government saying when it comes to, to going against them now that they have decided to go ahead and give that grant and then with Project Act last year, there was a number of canopies erected in various outdoor areas across towns in Cork. So, what, what would you wonder what yeah, the point is here? Then maybe some cases blind eye was turned towards them. But see, some places probably have them anyway. Maybe they've got their planning down through the years. You know, so one time actually, I don't know if you recall that, John Paul, like a lot of shops would have had the awnings and canopies going back for years. They always use them as well as sun protecting and that as well, you know. But um, then I suppose they got expensive and people lose other, use other mechanisms to protect yeah. their shops and their stock. But it's both like it just like it's so disappointing when the minister writes and says he's no immediate plans to choose amendments to planning legislation um, in the manner that's requested. But like, you know, this is the time we need it. You know, and like it I suppose we nearly have to go we have to well we did actually go back again, we wrote back again to the department in the hope that they would relook really at this. And as I say, especially in light now of this grant being announced, you know, that's going to like loads of people would love to avail of this. Like this like we have to help the, the businesses. With, you know, there's so many out there, and this would help a lot of business, not just the cafes and um, restaurants. It would help the, the grocery shops. It would help a lot of those that maybe have small shops that they can't let people in, some that they could maybe put display maybe some of their vegetables or, you know, vegetable shops maybe want to put outside doors, florists. You know, that they could do that for the summer and to give them an opportunity of getting in, you know, um, because they're stringing their business and that. It doesn't, yeah, you know, it doesn't it make makes, sense. It doesn't add up. It doesn't yeah. add up, especially the way things are going. But also, if you look back at old photos from various towns in Cork over the years, you would have seen that those uh, canopies uh, would have been over a lot of the stores, not only cafes or restaurants, but as you mentioned, shops there as well. So where do you go from here now with the proposal if they're not willing to engage and if yet they're giving out grants, but are just looking at planning amendments? Where does it go from here? Yeah, but Cork County Council are going to be looking after these grants. It'll be true Cork County Council, their website. But, like, you know, they're going to, to turn all these down because most of them are saying that they have to be compliant with planning on if they, whatever they go for. More often than not, they will have to be compliant with planning. And here we are, you know, Cork County Council is allowing you to have them. But, um, but the other, you know, side of our mouth, we're saying, oh, you have to apply for planning. 
So, it, you know, um, it just need we have to go back to the power. We have to start raising this probably with um, maybe TDs, politicians, just to um, put on the the floor, the, the chamber, and just, you know, um, get get some kind of a calling on it because it is, it's not satisfactory. There's going to be uproar because, you know, look, I suppose we would never consider towns in North Cork as towns that you sat out and, you know, but certainly like the touristy towns would be, like they'd be uproar over this. Yeah, you of know, course. I mean, like, it's you know, going to affect the whole county, yeah. not just North Cork. But as you mentioned, That's there are right. a lot of tourist towns, uh, yeah, for example, yeah. Skibbereen, oh, Clonakilty, Ballycotton. You know, yeah. they'd all be they'd, they'd all would benefit from this. But are you more or less saying that while people can't go and access, uh, that they can access the funding if they wish, and there's a big advert out in social media from all the uh, government parties, and the hashtag they're using is our rural future. But then you're saying the council will have to maybe they can give the grants, but the local people who have a business will have to turn it down because they can't use the grant. So what's the point of giving the grant? Is it just all for show? Yeah, yeah, they can apply for this grant, but they won't get it because they'd be refused on the grounds that you have to have planning for it. You know, so, so it's for show more or less this big grant announced today so you're saying of 17 million for outdoor dining is just a show because people can't use that yeah that's because they've said on that you have to be compliant with planning like that's the biggest problem in this yeah exactly okay exactly. we'll wait and see what happens Deirdre thanks for joining us this morning on uh, that issue it's a strange one alright but thanks for joining us Deirdre O'Brien their local councillor uh, in the Fermoy Mitchestown area uh, are you a local business would you like to have those uh, can it be outdoor spaces? But yes, while the grants are there, it seems from a planning point of view anyway, uh, you won't be allowed to continue. Your views are welcome. 1850 You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. A lot of uh, common saying on the various discussions we've been having this morning. We'll get through all of those after midday. Also, as it is, and not a bad day to be out in the garden. If you have a question for our Irish gardener, Peter Dowdall, he'll be along after 12.30. If you have a question for Peter, get those into us now because it does get busy while Peter is on. So get them in early so we can put them to Peter and have them ready for him. He'll be along after 12.30 and you can call Bernie with your gardening questions on 1850-333-103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Good afternoon to you, John Paul McNamara with you until one o'clock in for Patricia today and your gardening questions are welcome because Peter Doddall is along just after 12.30 he'll be answering all your gardening questions if you have a question for Peter get those into us on 1850-333-103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 Peter joining us uh, this afternoon uh, just at around uh, 12.30 but a lot of comments in on the various issues we've been discussing this morning first of all earlier we spoke with the team Teacher Union and Loughnan from the Teacher Union, the ASTI. And this is how teachers, along with the Gardaí and others now, aren't happy with the changes that, was, what, that was announced yesterday in relation to the vaccination rollout. It's going to go on an age-only basis. And because of that, uh, a lot of people have mixed views on the change of decision. Teachers feel they should be getting the vaccine uh, sooner than just age-only, along with the Gardaí and some frontline workers. But uh, when we were asking the ASTI if this because all the conventions are being held over Easter so the INTO the STI other teaching organisations will be holding uh, conventions with their members online and they'll be uh, asking them and, and even answer that would be a big issue but could that lead to the discussion of will they go back and will the schools reopen after Easter and they didn't rule that out they'll have to discuss this first but they did not rule it out unless things change because they're very unhappy with what has come out from the government on the rollout and the change uh, to the rollout of vaccination Again, that change is uh, once over 70s, those with underlying conditions and the medically vulnerable are vaccinated, appointments will be made on the basis of age alone. Well, 
on that. A lot of people I have different views on what was said by the ASTA and other teachers that did contact the show. Uh, we did hear then from teachers, Eileen was one of them, who said she doesn't agree with what the unions are saying and she says the unions don't represent her. And that was from a teacher. If you are a teacher, let us know. Uh, some parents agree that teachers should be vaccinated as well. A number of uh, those people were on to us earlier in the programme from a parent's point of view who feel uh, teachers should be uh, vaccinated. But if you are a teacher, uh, let us know your view on 1850 or text or WhatsApp 0862 uh, Sean and these are views of listeners coming in after that conversation and uh, comments after 11 we discussed on this first of all Sean saying hi JP sorry about my rant on teachers but what next are they going to look for it's very simple rule the older you are the sooner you get the vaccine I'm working right through all the lockdowns as a delivery driver in and out of everywhere and minding myself and keeping myself safe and not complaining. Most of these teachers have only six weeks work left before summer close. So do they all want to be vaccinated for a good summer break? Uh, says a junior search parent and that is Sean. And uh, hello to you Sean on text 0862103103 while Chris says Hi JP I totally agree with the teachers the Gardaí and childcare workers they should have the vaccine as childcare workers have worked all throughout the pandemic says Chris while Julie in Skibberine says regarding the teachers how selfish they are getting the most holidays the most pay shop workers have much more contact with the public than teachers with 20 or 30 in a class and she says regarding the chat we had earlier on uh, people visiting uh, and, and coming to the West Cork area ahead of Easter and this was regarding the news that Barry had at 10 o'clock this morning and possibly across the morning as well on Gardaí now will be out in force from now uh, to prevent people coming to their holiday homes or going to beauty spots in West Cork uh, Julie's also making the point because people were saying Saturday night into Sunday morning that the Bantry line uh, was really really busy overnight with people coming what the majority of callers was saying from Dublin uh, to their holiday homes in the West Cork region and Julie says yes uh, there are people coming to West Cork down the Bain of Blow Road which would be the Bantry line all the time maybe they need to police this road more if they are doing so says Julie in Skibbereen and back to the issue of the vaccine again and uh, this texter here says I just feel teachers are becoming a joke the first pandemic they were off all while us motor mechanics and essential uh, were in and out of everybody's car but we will be the last to get the vaccine uh, says that texter well it's going on age only now so it might not be the last if it's going on age only and a texter here is saying the fact that teachers are professionals doesn't make them more important as people than anyone else if they want to be selfish and strike so too can factory workers and retail workers and leave teachers without their bread and butter they think status can buy them the vaccine it's time they were put in their box with their bully boy tactics stay home if they are afraid of the virus they are paid to be home half the year anyway says this texter and paid on the backs of others for its greedy articles says that person on text while Podrick in Glanworth says would everybody just calm down and be glad that you are healthy 
and that you're a healthy individual. We all have to wait and we all have waited for the last few months for the vaccine. It will be available to all adults. Just wait. Be glad that you can wait, unlike those that are dead. People need to cop on. What about children with various life-threatening conditions? They're not even considered for being on any list, says Podrick in Glanworth on text and WhatsApp to 0862103103. Well, another texter here says if teachers were put on the PUP payments when not in schools, they might stop whinging and moaning constantly. They are very selfish groups, says that texter. While a texter here, no name on this, but they say, Hi, JP. I was appalled at the lady from the ASTI implying that teachers would take action if they don't get the vaccine as a priority. Can a home carer threaten to withdraw their services? I think not. Teaching unions are too often trying to hold the country to ransom. They need to get into school and teach the children. All we hear is, oh, they've been teaching their pupils online. Indeed, some have, but plenty haven't, according to that texter. Just ask the parents. Everyone in the county can give a reason why they need to get the vaccine now whether it be by occupation health or lifestyle I think the CEO of the Beacon Hospital didn't do teachers any favours with their shenanigans with leftover vaccines I work in retail and the new list is the way to go says that texter while on WhatsApp this is a person reacting to Lisa Lisa was a teacher who contacted us earlier who agrees that teachers should be vaccinated were in a room with 20 to 30 students not knowing where they would be in and out of uh, and she said you can't be comparing teachers to frontline workers because teaching is far more important than buying uh, a sliced pan of bread or and also Lisa said that they're educating the future after all uh, well on that a texter here on WhatsApp not very happy with Lisa and says uh, to Lisa and her comments that teachers are more important than retail workers regarding buying bread well if the supermarkets and small retailers closed where then would she get her bread I think you should get comments from the retail uh, sector on this well if you're in the retail sector no better than the actual workers of the retail sector to comment on that if you are I want to react to Lisa uh, saying that though we have and I said mentioned earlier Eileen is a teacher and, and a number of teachers have been on and they're saying uh, that the, the unions such as the INTO and the ASTI they don't represent us well they may represent a number of teachers Eileen was a, a teacher earlier who made this point uh, Josephine also went to us in the last few minutes who says they don't represent me I totally agree with this new age only basis for vaccines I agree with what some of your texters are saying and I think it should go on age only I don't agree with our unions so don't put all teachers in the same boat. Uh, yes, I agree that maybe not everybody works as hard, but that's in every profession and you can't blame everybody because of a few. Uh, Josephine says, uh, and goes on again to react and, and, and make the point that she does agree with what has been rolled out now for the vaccine, but she says people need uh, to not tar everyone with the same brush when it comes to teachers. Uh, thank you for your text, Josephine, on uh, text or WhatsApp 86 103. Uh, staying with the vaccine rollout Mary uh, has a point she says what about bus drivers that take children to school why don't they get the vaccine are they not in line then and class the same as the teacher yeah and they're in a bus with a load of students so yeah they should be also uh, considered uh, depending what happens uh, because 
the you know the teachers and the, and the Gardaí are obviously going to meet now with representatives from the government on this. Uh, but for the moment, again, it's on age only because that is the fastest way that they can get through the rollout. And also Mary making the point on hedge cutting. She said, I thought a hedge cutting was stopped due to birds nesting. Is it? Well, it is, Mary. Yeah. Um, the dates for hedge cutting, usually the, it's the Wildlife Act, isn't it? And roadside hedge cutting is permitted from the 1st of September until the end of February. But obviously, Mary, when you're texting that in, you're, you're obviously seeing or someone is, is cutting a hedge anyhow. But yeah, you're, you're not meant to uh, cut the hedge after the end of February, Mary. Thank you for your text. 0862103103. Now, on the issue of travel, we touched on it there with Julian Skibbereen and people uh, visiting their holiday homes. And because the Gardaí have said that uh, they're going to be out in force now a lot of people are saying it's too late guys you should have been out last Saturday night when they were travelling down from Dublin to their holiday homes they're there now uh, not too sure who'll be travelling down over the next few days anyhow Elizabeth is saying on that issue of travel will house lettings open the same times as hotels and B&Bs around my area I see people arriving already for Easter people that have holiday homes are up and down every weekend so I think it is a very unfair on locals who are not able uh, to visit their families and can't visit them while people from outside the area do uh, and yeah I mean if you're in a very scenic area and the people down the road in a holiday home are travelling from the east coast of Ireland and then people who are nearby but are obeying the law are not coming down or obeying the restrictions and are coming down to visit you yeah it is unfair and that's the point that people are making this morning on that we discussed planning earlier and the rural what is it, regeneration campaign they're running at the moment we discussed that at length on the show on Monday but a texter was making the point that you can't build on your own land as easy as you would uh, planning objections are always there uh, the council won't let planning go through because they're not in favour of one-off housing and all of that and I made the point that there was a councillor in Limerick we spoke with earlier on this year who did address that issue who raised it with government and who wanted the support of other county councils but he said he didn't get a lot of support from Cork uh, so that could be an issue because it is all coming from the county hall and the city hall uh, but when you're looking at the county areas you mentioned earlier it, it is from the the county hall uh, but on that uh, then the same person was making the point of the skyscraper that they're building and got planning permission on in the city and I just made the point that as you now drive into the city it is looking impressive and it's good to see new buildings being built on where you had derelict sites and derelict buildings that were looking rough at least now it gives it a more modern approach and it looks well rather than having derelict buildings across the docklands which they are now going to do with the regeneration and for Cork competing now with other cities mainly in Europe because you're, you're more or less competing with those in Europe than for, further away. Uh, you know, it gives it that kind of a feel. Anyhow, a texter here is saying, do we want to really look like any other European country? No, in capitals, this person said, doesn't agree with those new buildings. While Jerry says, I don't agree. I rather the old Victorian style buildings in the city. I think these new buildings are wrong. Uh, then, on the other side of that, flip the coin, you have Deirdre who says, I agree. I totally think the new high-rise buildings will bring Cork into the 21st century and make us one of the most modern looking cities in Ireland look at other cities we travel to uh, like in Australia or in the UK uh, we don't 
don't have to have the entire city uh, filled with high-rise buildings but I think that area around the Docklands does suit high-rise buildings and I think we should look that way because it also provides housing for those who can't afford it uh, says Deirdre uh, and thank you for your WhatsApp on 0862103103 A number of comments in to do with rubbish and indeed petrol prices I'll get to those shortly Also uh, somebody asking about the passport offices what is their uh, story at the moment uh, well they're remaining closed still I will get this double checked uh, this afternoon but at the moment uh, the latest we have from the passport office is uh, that while still in level 5 uh, passport operations are paused in line with the level 5 announcements now I don't see anything yet specifically on passports coming out from yesterday uh, but we will double check that this afternoon but for the moment according to the latest I have on passports here uh, from uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs is that they remain closed uh, but however you can still apply online for a passport it's likely to miss with this. Some people I know have applied online for a passport and have got their passport seven or eight weeks later. Others are still waiting for their passports. But if you apply online, the majority of people I know are getting their passports, but it does take about two months. Others are still waiting. If you post in, I think you will be waiting uh, if you post your uh, documents into them. Uh, If there's an emergency passport you do need, you can contact uh, the passport office through their web chat service. So just go on to uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs website. You can actually chat to them uh, via the web chat service um, to pass the, the website for them the best information I think would be to go via the dfa.ie uh, forward slash passports that's where I got the information on their web chat if you are in an emergency situation and they will help you there on that but for general passports online if you can if you can't take your own photo uh, and it lets you upload it well then you can do it online but you will be waiting two or three months physically the opening of passport offices uh, we'll double check that this afternoon but all I can tell you the latest we have as of now is that they remain closed as we are in level 5 1850 uh, our lines are open your gardening questions are welcome for Peter our text or WhatsApp 0862103103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID-19 pandemic See corkcoco.ie Ankle Dollary Home Bingo that continues this week with the snowball prize increased to €150. Books cost €5 and are on sale locally and also in Thornhill's Opticians and Myers Maxwell in Mitchellstown. Proceeds in aid of Kildallery Community Development and Kildallery GAA. And Castle Magnar Community Development Association and Tuddy Towns will hold their AGM via Zoom and that's taking place on Tuesday the 6th of April at 8pm. The link for the Zoom meeting is available if you email Community at gmail.com or you can contact any committee member. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. And just reacting to a lot of comments that have come in regarding the vaccine and teachers and various views people have on the whole situation and we did speak with the ASTI who uh, are going speaking to their members over the Easter uh, and it will, they'll have to wait and see what the talks, uh, how they fare out with the government. Uh, but they were looking at maybe industrial action if things aren't sorted or if teachers are not included in the vaccine rollout. Of course, it is going to be age only. Uh, that's the impression we were given anyhow. We'll have to wait and see what happens, of course, over the next few weeks. But on that, a lot of comments still coming in. And here's Cathy who says, Hi JP, I'm an SNA in a school. I'm in the high-risk category 
category and I haven't been offered a vaccine yet but I presume Cathy you think you, you should be it is going on age only but you'll be waiting another while uh, depending on, on what happens uh, even though they are saying that if you're when you say you're in a high risk category uh, those still with underlying conditions and the medically vulnerable uh, they will be vaccinated and those once the over 70s are, are done as well then the appointments will go on age only but if you are in a high risk category hopefully you'll be getting your call shortly on that uh, also in relation to teachers Denise Denise says in relation to teachers being vaccinated at a time when we are not allowed to have a non-family member in any room in our houses it makes total sense to me that education staff should be ahead of retired people for vaccination after all they are sharing a room with 30 others says Denise and with people reacting and people having different views about the vaccination of teachers, uh, a person here on WhatsApp says, well, teachers have more than 30 pupils. How many classes do they, those objecting, do in a day, uh, says that texter. Uh, and uh, another person here, this is regarding Lisa's comments, who was a teacher who feels teachers should be vaccinated uh, over basically frontline workers. Uh, this person says on WhatsApp, I'm working in a paint shop. We never closed and we serve 100 customers a day. We have not stopped. Lisa, would she just get off her rock if she thinks they deserve it over anyone else? When they have had months off and they can control their students to a degree and make sure they're sanitising, etc. We cannot in our workplace. People argue with us about wearing masks and washing hands. And if we are going to play that game, who deserves it more? We are heading down a bad road if we're fighting with each other on who should get the vaccine over another person, which is a fair point. And thank you for your WhatsApp uh, to 0862103103. And we mentioned travel there earlier. And thanks to Kenneth Osudovon in Clonakilty for this because he says today, uh, which is March 31st, in the year 1961, which is 60 years ago today, it was the closure of the West Cork railway line. So while a lot of people are talking about various travel uh, and people travelling into West Cork from outside the area for Easter, uh, this day, 60 years ago, March 31st, was the closure of the West Cork railway line, which many will say was the biggest mistake ever made. Uh, when you think that in today's terms, they're looking at in our city at the moment in Cork, future plans to bring a Lewis-type system into the city whereby there was trams years ago in Cork City and then while we're all supposed to be going green and get us off the road don't drive you know diesel cars or petrol cars and get your electric car and all of that kind of lark we had a, a really efficient train service it seems running right across Cork not just only in West Cork there was other lines running in South Cork and in the McCroom area as well uh, and to think that and there was more train stations in North Cork as well and in East Cork than there is now but to think that they closed railway lines then because they thought the future I suppose was going to be the motor car uh, but if it was still there and still operating wouldn't it really bring into the discussion now when they're on about climate change and all of that that we would have a, a railway line whereas now the only way you can travel to that area the train stops in the city and you must drive after that or get a bus uh, so yeah it's uh, a, a lot of people have memories of the railway line in West Cork and the anger uh, that is there and still remains uh, that about the closure of that railway and thanks to Kenneth Sudovon for reminding us of that today in Clonakilty thank you Kenneth uh, for texting on 0862103103 now the issue of rubbish came up in the show yesterday and Mary's taking time out to text she says uh, as you were discussing that issue of rubbish yesterday I would like to say that I know two families 
from the Tullylease area and they go out collecting rubbish from the roadside most days. They are a credit. I wouldn't like to say uh, what I would do if I saw the dumpers that, that that are out there dumping rubbish but can I credit that family from Tullylease who go out collecting rubbish from the roadside every day. They're a credit to your community. So well done uh, to that family in Tullylease wherever you are. Take a bow uh, collecting roadside rubbish every day. I know so many other people do the same in other areas of the county as well. And we're all noticing petrol prices increasing over the last few weeks, aren't we? Well, Elner is in Carrigline. Elner is saying, does anybody know why petrol prices are going up so much lately? It's one fifty-one now for petrol. It was only one twenty-four at the start of this lockdown. Yeah, they have gone up a lot over the last number of weeks. And while people talk about taxes and uh, uh, different uh, things going on in the Middle East for uh, the increase in the barrel of oil, it is a lot uh, of one fifty-one for petrol now where Elner is anyhow in Carrig Line and hello to a listener in Castle Magner because Dermot earlier in, in Morn Abbey was letting us know that the swallow he saw his first swallow in Morn Abbey yesterday and a listener in Castle Magner said she also saw her first swallow yesterday in Castle Magner so a sign of the summer thank you uh, for your WhatsApp on 0862 103 103 and a lot of calls and comments coming in on various issues we have discussed plus a lot of questions for Peter as well just one final comment on the issue of people travelling to various holiday hotspots this weekend and how come they have already travelled while the Gardaí are only putting in enforcement now and Mary is in West Cork Mary says I live in a remote part of West Cork and at 2am this morning a vehicle passed my house more than likely coming to their holiday home I find that people in West Cork are very negative to outsiders I think we should mind our own business and health too many people are stressed out and are stressed out and over other people's business. So they're concentrating more on other people's business than their own business. I personally, Mary says, feel people are anti-Dublin as well, uh, says Mary in West Cork. So has Mary a point? People are becoming too obsessed with what others are doing. They should look after their own health, mind their own business and stop being so anti-Dublin. Uh, says Mary on text 0862 103 103. We're going gardening next with Peter Doddle. A number of uh, comments coming in for Peter and we'll, our number of gardening questions even coming in for Peter and we'll chat and join Peter right next and Peter Doddle the Irish gardener joins me on this Wednesday afternoon as usual good afternoon to you Peter good afternoon John Paul how are you I'm fine thanks how are you keeping nice weather so an ideal day for the garden isn't it I'd say you've been out in it all week have you oh. <laughs> I have, yeah. You'll be glad to know the house I used to live in. I used to live in Rinton. I know I was telling you about that before, where the grass never grew. It, it has grown. It was reset and the grass is growing again. So you'll be glad to know that. I know you were always worried about that with the, <laughs> the garden with the uh, lawnmower with only two wheels in it. Yes, I was having sleepless nights, John Paul, but <laughs> glad to hear it's, it's working. You know, but the weather is gorgeous and it's real spring in the air at the moment, getting you out into the garden at the moment. It's gorgeous. So hopefully we'll have more of this Easter sunshine. Hopefully we will. A lot of people want to get out to the garden and they feel it good uh, for themselves. So let's get straight into questions, Peter. A number of them have come in. And first, let's start with Tim, who's in North Cork. And Tim is asking, Peter, is this a good time to plant early potatoes and can you plant them on a bed of manure? Yes and no. So yes, it is a good time to plant all your seed potatoes now, really. Normally, you'd have the, the what's called the first earlies, which are the new potatoes, if you like, um, John Paul, you'd have them planted by Patrick's Day as the traditional kind of day to get them in by in Ireland. But there's nothing to say you can't 
plant later or earlier than plant today. So it's just kind of a, it's a marker. Uh, so yeah, you can absolutely plant them now. You could even be planting your second earlies and your main crops now as well, I would say. Uh, and obviously you'll harvest them later in the season. Uh, can you put them straight on a bed of manure? I would say no. You could certainly use manure when planting. But two things with manure. Number one, make sure it's very well rotted. So make sure it's a well rotted manure. It should realistically be two years old or more. Uh, it should be crumbly in texture. In other words, it should be soil like it shouldn't be in any way slimy or anything like that. And there should be no smell of it off it that's the, the best test of all to see if it's if it's rotten enough there shouldn't be any smell off the manure if there is it's still a bit too fresh all that being said i still wouldn't plant directly on the manure i would uh, i would dig my my little drill for the spuds or even if you want to do this in a planter bag or a pot or anything uh, put in a bed of manure put in a drill of manure but then i would cover that with an inch or two of soil so that the potato isn't going the seed potato isn't going to be touching the manure as such uh, but but perfect to use it but just bury it with soil then put down the seed potato and then start earthing up as you go Okay, hopefully that helps you there, Tim. And Sarah is in Lumberstown. Now, Sarah is trying to grow peppers from seed. Now, do they need to be kept in a greenhouse? And do they also grow very tall? Sarah wants to know. Depending on the variety, Sarah will determine whether or not they grow tall. They don't all grow very tall, but some do. So it does depend on the variety. Uh, the answer to the first part of the question is an absolute yes in Ireland. Uh, that you, 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 We will have to grow them indoors certainly start off the seeds indoors probably even a bit early to start off the seeds of chilies uh i'd normally wait till kind of april before i start my chilies and tomatoes indoors uh keep them indoors depending on the variety you may be able to move them out for the summer and harvest them at the end of the summer but i would say you at the end of the summer just pre-harvesting you'll probably be moving them in again uh just to ripen them but so either keep them indoors for their whole time or move them out for a bit during the summer but move them back in again at the end of the summer just before harvesting. And Pat is in East Cork. He wants to know, is it too late now to set lawn seed? No, I'd say not to Pat. I mean, March is your perfect month to put down. It's a textbook month to put down lawn seed. And, and I don't know what the what the statistics are showing us, JP, but I, I think this March has been a bit cold. So I think we're, we're, we still have plenty of time. Uh, and while I say it's a textbook month to put down lawn seed, it's either March or September, but realistically unless we get an extreme summer you can kind of sow lawn seed throughout the summer here in ireland just make sure you give it lots and lots of water over the first kind of six or eight weeks obviously if you put it down at the moment nature's taking care of it on a lot of the days uh, but for the days that it's not raining you'd, you'd have to be watering it but no it's not too late at all and jane is in butterfant she wants to put down a hedge to protect her polytunnel from the winds but it needs to be something not poisonous to animals would grisselinia be suitable for her Yes, Grisinia would be suitable. It's a good windbreak. Ailey Agnes is another one that's a good windbreak. I always, <clears throat> pardon the pun here, John Paul, but I always hedge my bets when I, when we're talking about poisonous plants because um, because most plants, um, like I, I can't speak for Grisinia or Ailey Agnes, but many of these plants would be toxic if ingested. But we all grew up around these plants. Animals have an instinct to avoid these plants. I've never heard of Grisinia or Ailey Agnes causing any kind of problem with animals. But... <laughs> I'm not a toxicologist, so I'm just, as I say, hedging my bets. You hedging is a lovely, lovely one, but that is highly toxic. Laurel is one that is known to be toxic to, to a lot of farm animals as well, so avoid those. Uh, but I think, Grislinia, you'll be on the right track. And Joan is in Carrick Navarre. She has a beech hedge. Now, she says it has grown too wide. Can she cut it back now? 
you, you can and you can't. So you, you, you horticulturally you could, but uh, from the point of view of wildlife, no, you can't. It's too late. So uh, from March to September, you can't cut your hedges back under the Wildlife Protection Act, uh, which is you know the right thing to the, the it's, it's a well-meaning act obviously because it's protecting birds nesting and wildlife nesting so don't cut your hedge back at the moment you could cut it back like the beach will respond well to being trimmed in uh to, to make it less dense and less bushy uh but i would wait now at this stage till towards the end of september or if you wanted to leave it for the winter do it during february next year Okay, and a uh, number of people on about this, uh, and a lot of questions has come into us over the last uh, two hours, Peter. But Anne uh, sums it up on weed killer, and she wants to know what can you use safely to kill weeds. Uh, but she has a lot of dogs, and she doesn't want the dogs to be going in and, and licking the flowers or getting near the weed killer. So, what is a safe uh, way to kill weeds? Your hands, John Paul, and that's it. The only way. It's as simple as that. Get get down on your hands and knees and get a hand trowel. What's wrong with it? It's the safest, most efficient, uh, most effective way to remove weeds is get down there with a hand trowel and pull them out. There are chemicals. The, the majority of weed killers up to recently uh, contain the active ingredient glyphosate. Roundup was the poster boy for the the protesters, if you like, but it's not only Roundup that contains glyphosate, it's nearly every single weed killer on the shelf contains glyphosate. And glyphosate, for those who aren't aware, uh, has caused an awful lot of controversy in recent years as to whether it's, uh, number one, causes cancer in humans, and number two, whether it's damaging local biodiversity. Um, I are on the side of caution, I choose not to use it. I used to use it when I was younger, but I don't use it anymore. Um, it's it's up to each individual whether or not they choose to use it. The reason I hesitate, uh, John Paul, is because there there are very compelling arguments to say it's perfectly safe to use if you use it carefully. Equally, there are very compelling arguments to say that it's carcinogenic. So, it's it's I I are on the side of caution. I don't use it. Then you look at other weed killers which are available under the tag and in inverted commas organic and safe and. I'm slow to use them as well because a lot of them contain acetic acid, which is what we what we call vinegar, but it's in a horticultural grade or an agricultural grade. That can be very damaging to soil organisms as well. So I wouldn't be in a mad rush to get out putting putting vinegar or acetic acid on the soil. Um, so yeah, long-winded answer, but I, I think the best the the best most effective and safest way to remove your weeds is get out there and hand weed. So we're all locked up within 5Ks at the moment. We have time like never before and uh, you can cancel the gym membership. We can't go into gyms anyway and get out there and do a bit of hand weeding. Okay, that'll work on the muscles. Uh, Anne is in McCroom. She wants to know what type of rhubarb would Peter recommend now? Well, for growing, they're all pretty easy to grow, I'll be honest with you. But there's a nice one, Victoria, which is full of flavour. Goliath is another one which is full of flavour. Uh, there's another early one, Tim Pearly Early, it's called, uh, and Champagne is another particularly red one. They're all nice varieties, but I, when it comes to flavor, a bit like hedging my bets earlier, I, I, I'm, and when people ask me what's the right potato to grow, uh, I always say that I don't answer it because every Irish person has a different preference when it comes to the spuds, and it's also true with, with, with rhubarb. It depends on which flavor you, you like yourself and how sour you like it. But in terms of growing, I have had great success with Vic, those ones that I mentioned, Victoria, Goliath, Timperley, Early and Champagne. Okay, and if you can help this person who says, Peter, can I take cuttings now from hydrangea and rose bushes and plant in a plastic container? And then if I can, how will I plant them? Okay, a bit too early is the, the answer to the question, but you can do it, but just not yet. So, you, you, but you're not too far off being, 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 um, 
being there, I, I sound a bit like Michal Martin last night. We're, we're nearly there, but we're not quite there. So um, you need to wait about another five or six weeks uh, into the kind of May, May even into June and July. That's the time that you take what's called uh, semi-ripe nodal cuttings, which are basically just just uh, cuttings of this year's growth. So they haven't produced enough of this year's growth yet to give you cutting material. So at that time, what you do is you take with the rows first, they're both the same, it just will vary on the length of the cutting. Uh, you take the top of this year's shoot, about six inches from the top, you cut to a node, so the base of the cutting is on a node, and what a node is, JP, is it's just where the leaves meet the stem, that's a node, but that's where all the magic happens in the, in the stem and in the cutting, because that's where all the hormones are, the auxins to promote rooting, they're all in that node. So the node should be the base of your cutting, cutting of the rows maybe about four inches, four or five inches, uh, leave only one pair of leaves on that cutting, remove what we call the terminal bud, which is where your flower might be or your growth tip. So remove that, leave one or two leaves on the cutting, base of the cutting is an node, into rooting powder, into a bit of compost, and they'll root away quite easily for you in June, July, August. Same is true with the hydrangea, but you, your cutting might be just a bit longer, might be six or seven inches. And if you can, uh, this person also is asking about uh, lilium bulbs. She says, I've got plastic paint buckets. Can I set lilium bulbs in them? And they're called Oriental Stargazer Lilium. Yeah, Stargazer Lilies are, are lovely, but the, 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 I'm curious on the, the, the question. She got plastic paint buckets. Yeah, she's got plastic so I'm, paint I'm buckets. I'm guessing what you mean. Yeah, I'm guessing what she means there is the paint paint containers that are empty have no no longer got paint in them so in terms of a container yes plastic containers like that are perfect to use provided you put drainage holes in them because obviously there won't be drainage holes in them if they were carrying paint so make sure you put drainage holes in them uh so the water excess water can drain away and they'd be good to use but if they've had paint in them if and they have obviously their paint containers I don't know the toxicity levels in the paint, uh, so I'm not sure is the short answer on that. If it's completely and totally cleaned out, I'm sure they'd be absolutely fine to use. Uh, but if there's paint still in them, I'm not sure would that affect. Uh, I, I'm not saying it would or wouldn't. I'm just saying I don't know, John Paul. Would would any re- residual paint in the container harm the growth of the plant? I don't know. All right, uh, Rosie is in Araglen now. She, at the moment, Rosie is setting white turnips. So, should I fertilize them? She's asking, or should I use fertilizer? And if so, what organic one would you recommend, Peter? I would give a base dressing, what we call a base dressing, when you're planting turnips and plants like this, particularly the root vegetables. Um, I, and I'd use the Nature Safe granular plant food. It's a, it's a, it's a completely plant-based plant food, JP. Uh, so there's no animal byproducts in it, no manure, no chicken manure, no farmyard manure. So it's perfectly uh, okay to use for vegans. So if you're a vegan or if you're feeding vegans, you can follow back the food chain right into the plant food that there was no animal byproducts in it. I, all that being said, it's I'm not a vegan, so it's not the it's not my driving reason to use it. The reason I use it is because it's a very very good organic plant food has the added benefit of being made in Ireland. It's made in Galway, but the nature safe granular. Uh, plant feed is what I would use as a base dressing there for the turnips. And Margaret wants to know, how do I get rid of wild garlic from her garden? She has tried digging it out with the last, in the last few years, but it comes back again. Does the seed from the flower blow in the wind? Asks Margaret. How you get rid of it, Margaret, is with difficulty is the short answer, I'm afraid. Um, <coughs> I have no magic wand for you there. You, you learn to love it. it. It looks very attractive in flower and it tastes very nice in soups and salads. But um, but, uh, but yes, it is a thug. It's a complete and utter bully, John Paul. It just takes over the garden. But I'm afraid, yeah, 
bar doing what you're doing, keep doing what you're doing is the only way to, to stay on top of it is dig out. It, it, it grows in little bulbs or bulbils, a bit like bluebells. Um, uh, but yeah, you just need to keep digging them out. Yes, the seed does spread in the flowers, but, but obviously each clump also develops. So where you have one wild garlic bulb within a couple of years, you have a clump of maybe 20 or 30 of them. Um, so, so yeah, I'm afraid, if, okay, if you can get the plants out before they flower, then obviously you're, you're stopping the spread that way. But yeah, it is just a bit of, um, a bit like the call earlier, but the hand weeding, get out there with, with your trowel and shovel and keep digging, Margaret. I'm sorry. All right. And another Margaret, this time in Kilbethany, says, Hi, Peter, you mentioned copper sulphate for red robin shrub. Is this a spray or granules to treat black spot on the colour? Uh, and for roses, so, uh, says Margaret. So is looking for a spray or granules to treat black spot on the colour uh, for yes, roses? Yeah. So I did. I mentioned uh, copper sulphate and I regularly mention it on the programme, John Paul, because it's my kind of go-to organic broad-spectrum fungicide um, and it comes in powder form. You'll get it in your, your co-op or your agricultural store in what's called bluestone, uh, but you'll, you'll get it, otherwise you'll get it as, sold as copper sulphate or copper mixture. So it's a powder and you mix the powder with water uh, make, again, mix a small bit of it to start. So if you've ever made gravy, John Paul, I'm not sure, but you mix a small bit with water just to make a paste out of it and get rid of any lumps, and then add the correct amount of water as per the the instructions, uh, and drench your 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 red robin or your rose bush or anything that's prone to getting leaf spot, uh, a fungal leaf spot or or mildew or rust or anything like that. It really is a great thing to use to prevent them getting it. And these fungal problems, it's much much better to prevent them getting it than it is to try and cure it when they get it. So now is the time to apply it. It's a powder, mix it with water, drench the plant and the soil around it, and, and it will be worth doing. Okay, Margaret, best of luck with that. And uh, this is a man who looks after his lawn. This is John who's asking, uh, Hi, JP and Peter, if I cut my lawn, then can I put my sacrifier on it for moss and weeds, then spread granulated lime on it, and after two weeks, if I put my renovator of moss, weed killer and fertiliser on it, would that be a good way to improve my lawn? Asks John. Yes and no, absolutely. I mean, God, yeah, you, you, you've a lot going on there. So, yeah, if, if you cut the lawn and then scarify it within the next few days or the next week, that'll be fine. So what scarifying is, John, uh, John Paul, it's, um, it's like a mechanical rake where you re- physically remove, or the machine physically removes the thatch, which is the buildup of kind of dead and decaying material at the soil surface and moss and all this stuff. So scarifying, you're pulling all that up. And, and the, the, the lawn would look desperate for a while afterwards. It looks like it's a, had a very bad haircut. Uh, but it will thicken up. So then he was saying, would he put some lime on it afterwards, which would be good advice, because that will give you the correct pH, or well, sorry, it'll make your soil more alkaline, which is good for grass growth and bad for moss growth. But then he's, he, he asked, would he put Renovator on it afterwards? Now, I'm not sure what Renovator is. It's not something I'm familiar with or I haven't used it. Uh, but he says the moss, moss killer. So I'd be slow to, and the reason I'd be slow to is because you shouldn't have a problem with moss at that point anyway because you've scarified it and you've put on lime, right? I don't know what's in the product, but if it's a chemical, a moss-killing chemical, I wouldn't want to use it because you could be blanket-bombing the whole area unnecessarily. Uh, but then a lot of these, and again, I say I don't know what's in this one, so a lot of these moss-killing products contain sulfate of iron to kill, control moss, JP. And the problem with that is, yes, it'll kill any moss in the lawn, but it's it's also been counterproductive because... You're putting on lime, which will make the soil more alkaline. The sulfate of iron is a soil acidifier. So 
you're actually then creating conditions which aren't conducive to good grass growth, but are conducive to, to moss growth. So I would be slow to, to, to add the extra, scarify it, add the lime, and if I was to add anything to it, then I would add the lawn gold, which is a, again an Irish product, and that works by maintaining that optimum alkaline pH uh, and giving the right nutrients to, to the lawn as opposed to sulphate of iron. Okay, Peter. Well, thanks for for those. If you can answer this in about twenty seconds for John in Mill Street, I'm not too sure if you can. He wants to know the best use of grass cuttings. He's done his first cut, and he doesn't want to be dumping the grass. Any use he can put them to? Uh, just put them into the compost bin. Don't use them all on their own, John Paul. Don't like a mass of of, of grass cuttings won't rot down. It'll just become a hot, slimy mass. So, but mix them with woody uh, material in your compost bin, and they're a perfect addition that way. Okay, Peter, thank you for that. Are you back on your own Facebook on a Friday answering questions again? Back on Facebook, Irish Gardener, at 1pm on Friday. Just a quick thank you to everyone, JP. Uh, last Friday, we had a Daffodil Day themed Ask the Gardener on Facebook, uh, and we managed to raise €2,000 within the hour. Excellent. So thank you to everybody who donated through Facebook. This Friday, I'll be answering questions again, 1 o'clock on the Irish Gardener. Well done. That's a great amount of money. Well done, Peter. And thanks for joining us and answering as many as the questions we could get through uh, this afternoon. Mind yourself, Peter. Peter Dollar there, who is the Irish Gardener. Find him on theirishgardener.com or indeed on Facebook and Instagram at the Irish Gardener. My thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced I'm John Paul McNamara. Enjoy your Wednesday afternoon. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.